0: You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media.
1: It's uh, very important to be with conscious African women and men. And I'm very excited to see Conscientization 101, to see Sister Zari there and the brother James, And uh, to see that you have started an organization to conscientize the world, especially African people, about what's really going on in this world.
2: Conscientization 101.
3: A lot of these people right now in this conscious, so-called conscious movement, they're not actually living in that in that lifestyle. Bakers. That's why, you know, obviously yourself, we're in the same sort of frequency. That's why you're listening to the same things I'm listening to, because we're sharing that same sort of thought. We want the same sort of things, and a lot of people don't want the same sort of things. Even yourself, what you're doing now is for the people, so everything is people-based.
0: Globally conscientizing
3: be proud of what um,
4: this kind of connection here is that you know when, no matter what is said no matter what is done um, you, you leave that you leave listening to our music with a feeling the same way we're gonna leave this conversation with the feeling and um, that is the most important thing for, for I and I the, the vibe and the energy and the feeling that you leave with because you might not remember every lyric but you're gonna remember the feeling so um,
5: that's,
3: that's, that's, that's really important and that's what I'm getting from what you're doing. Doing, 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 doing. Yeah, we got it, yeah, we back at it. Yeah, we got it, yeah, we back at it, yeah, yeah. We at it, yeah. we back at it It's them heroes for hire, we know to bring static Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it What's the outcome that you get done? Your shit's tragic them same cats with them same stats, unbeatable Feeding you nothing but hard tracks, listen Here to save the game again from these bullshitters. Wires all up in the shirts, real fraud spitters Known to put it down on any beat that Morph delivers Heroes up in this bitch, villains get the shivers Ego killers, head buster, brain spillers Carcass rippers, yes yeah, some real hard niggas We get the job done, big or small, bring them all we never stole, we just came to kill them all Hit them all off with a little sutton, sutton Verbal avalanche, sabotage a pick for fronting Crack bones like pistachios, fuck you in your flashy hoes Drama times the game every time I float We back at it, yeah, we cause panic What's the outcome, that you get done, this shit's tragic Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it, yeah We at it, yeah, we back at it, yeah, yeah we at it, yeah, we back at it It's them heroes for hire, we know the bring sad it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it What's the outcome that you get done? Your shit's tragic the cyclones back with bars intact. Jaws get cracked on the attack. Bodies get wrapped, dressed in black in the wastelands like Fallout, trying to survive. Been in the vault for too long. Circulate and rise, go hard, body with bars like bats. Batter you properly. You ain't consistent. Styles blotchy. Two tone battle cyclone regrouped, home broken down and spitted on like live microphones painting pictures like galleries among the G's in these gully streets. We conversate over beats, fuck the masses like a thunderbolt Consume my tunes like secondhand smoke A second dose, the antidote, my cars coat Covers my body ready for war, I calm my cars, folks Bones get broken, blood tore, I don't take talk Get cut short, it's blood sport Choppy like pork, killing the fort, with no remorse Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it, yeah, yeah We at it, yeah, we back at it It's them heroes for hire, we know to bring sad it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it What's the outcome that you get done? Your shit's tragic you ain't hard, fool your shit's a facade Transparent, spitting your go-go gadget bar Send a kick to your clock This shit is an art Make your death look impressive The message large, Play two grand theft Now you wanna go hard Think about it Leaving you with more than a scar Chisel wrappers, grind me to them fake ass dappers Mad hatters, you fuck around and end up battered, the flow surging Superb in the moment with words merging The rhyme stays on point, that's a joint like Eric Sermon Get rubbed for your resources, remain cautious Your whole clique's pussy and wet like broad straws gets You're battling vets to snap off next. Ain't no telling what could happen next when I get vexed Never drop clues, I just come through and drop clues Like a bad habit, you best can it or get abused Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, yeah we at it, yeah, we back at it It's them heroes for hire, we know to bring side it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it Yeah, we at it, yeah, we back at it we at it, yeah, we back at it. What's the outcome that you get done? Your shit's tragic.
2: Welcome to another episode of Dark Scientization 101.
0: You are a chaosist.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Conscientization 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor James Stone, along with my co host and managing editor, Zari Sandiata, for this episode of Conscientization 101 Podcast. Yeah! <laughs> Kind of crunk. You want to know why? Because it's just like our brother Cyclonius said. Yeah, we at it. Yeah, we back at it. God damn that track. It's something else if I do say so myself. What do you think about that, Zari?
0: Oh, yeah. It's jamming. I told him that too.
2: Cyclonius, you're back at it. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Heroes for Hire. Okay. And we back at it too. All right. Let me, let me be honest. We really never got away from it. Did I say that right, ladies and this? We never really got away from it. No. Okay. We never left it. You get me? Okay. Because our studying and practice never cease. So, you know, and what I'm saying is just because you haven't had a podcast episode in a while doesn't mean we haven't been working on a podcast episode or working period. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like... Let me. I'm trying to think. Uh, Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 like that stupid Western philosophy trick. Uh, they 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 try they use to try to pull off as being a deep philosophical Western intellectual tradition. <laughs> then when I was a kid, they used to say stuff like this. You know, they used to say yeah, stuff like this, and people think, like, "Oh man, I don't know what to say about this." They used to say it like this. Check this out. If a tree falls in the
5: world, if the tree falls, yes. Are you listening to me, student? Listen if, if, if a tree falls in the woods and no, nobody sees it or hears it
2: fall, <laughs> does it really fall? And we're supposed to be mesmerized like, damn, man, I ain't see that shit falls. It's so deep. Did it fall? Because I don't know it fell. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're laughing right now because I remember they used to try to trip us up with stuff like this all the time. and be like, Oh, my God. That's... Oh, man. And me, personally, I didn't... You know, I was like, why is it looking around? I'm like, are y'all serious? I said, that fool just told you the tree fell. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, so they just told you the tree fell, and then he asking you, did the tree fall? Just because he used a little Anglo-Saxon accent. Okay? It's supposed to be, dude. Did the tree fall? Oh. That fool just told you the shit fell. And, and you know, I would say, well... Mr. Imperialist? Uh you just uh told us the tree fell. So yeah, it fell. To which their response would be something like this.
5: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yes, yes, young Negro lad. Yes, yes. But since you didn't see the tree fall, and no other you have no other perception, no other perception of it falling, then it won't affect you because you have no knowledge, no knowledge, no knowledge of it falling. Hmm.
2: Now, here again, listening audience, I'm pretty sure you see through that... rationale, And what is really implying that the internalization of solipsism is the highest and only form of cognition. All right? Now, I'm going to make it plainer, a little plainer than that, because, uh, you know, Zari had an example uh, uh, about how to elucidate this for y'all. So, Zari, give the example... Uh skinny the skinny dude that got swole. Listen to the skinny dude who got swole and you'll break up the tree that failed. Go ahead, get that exact get that anecdote, sister.
0: And so if you have a a skinny dude that was skinny in January of one year, mm-hmm. and then you see him the
2: following January and he swole. Swole meaning he's been lifting weights. He's they've experienced muscle hypertrophy right
0: then (laughs) you know that he's been working out because you see the result of him working out even if you didn't see the whole process of him
5: well well did he really well rage 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 young negro negress lad did i say that wrong oh no i don't know we're in the area of abgdq doesn't matter young negress um excuse me but are you telling me that just because you don't perceive it, 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 if you did not see it, it can still happen?
0: Yes, because I also said that if I go into those woods and that on tree is on the ground, then we know it fell. <laughs> <laughs> and it does affect us because it may not be giving us any more oxygen if it's dead.
2: You see how, like, you? do you see what I'm saying? Western thought, they try to make it seem so, like so highfalutin, so in-depth, right? But it's really just simple, and it just tries to manifest itself in some kind of neurotic... It's just basically neurotic, trying to hold up the individual and what you feel in um, antagonism with the community. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, the word communism. They don't like communism. But the root word of that is communal, right? But these fools are always talking about, I gotta have a community, you want to live in a community, but then it's like, don't take my shit, don't expect me to share my shit.
0: The only reason why I use the word community is to sell things. It's
2: true, right? <laughs> that's that's for commercial commercial reasons. Exactly, it, exactly. I'm off microphone. I'm going to go. Yeah, that's right, shit. You know. <laughs> and, and also going back to the, the the tree in the forest, we could you know we got iPhones now. I know all y'all tripping on the iPhone 14 or whatever the 17, whatever it's called. You just put a damn camera out there, you know. Yeah, that'll work and 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 we went through this long, long anecdote and this long analogy and stuff just to just just to just to elucidate the point is that even when you don't see us working, see one on one, we working. <laughs> you get me, That's what I'm saying. When you don't see us working, that don't mean we not we working, okay? Now, let's get into the subject of this episode. shall we? All right, so back, here it is. Let me paint a perfect picture, all right? Let me paint a perfect picture. Back in 2020, back in 2020, y'all remember 2020, that fateful year, you know, we were updating the website. The whole world was on lockdown, seemed to be imploding. And that's when, you know, I, ain't gonna, I got this inkling. I was like, I said to myself, James, let me check out YouTube and see if there's any videos on our late, beloved, ancestor scholar, Dr. Walter Rodney. Yes. And, and, and 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 you know, I did say that, but I don't want to shroud it in mysticism, okay? The reason why I do say that because, like we said, we be working, we be studying. Yeah, we be studying, right? So my point I'm trying to make is that I had actually uh reread Walter Rodney Speaks, The Making of an African Intellectual, you know, so... Read, you know, well, if you know you study, you know, those of you out there who do, do a lot of reading, you know, you read something new, but you always keep something that you're always uh rereading because you know, just so you can internalize that, because sometimes you might forget. So, I got I, my, my process is this I have to I always have two books I'm reading that are new to me, and I'm always rereading. One book I read from the past just so I can, you know, keep up because it all builds, you know, you might forget some stuff. So that's the reason why I looked up Walter Rodney. I was just curious. I was like, man, you know, I wonder if there's any um, lectures on YouTube of Walter Rodney, you know, because that's very hard to find him actually speaking, right? So when I went to YouTube and did a search for Walter Rodney, much to my surprise, I found a disquisition presented by our dear beloved Dr. Walter Rodney called, called, Walter Rodden, Crisis in the Periphery, Africa, and the Caribbean. Now, this revolutionary and erudicious lecture was posted by the YouTube channel Connections in C. That is connections, spelled with a K. Space, the letters N as in Nancy and C as in cat. And we would like to thank Connections NC for making this presentation available by Dr. Walter Rodney. It was it's a it's a lecture that most definitely is invaluable in its worth as a tool of revolutionary praxis. I have to say that because it's Dr. Walter Rodney. And again, we don't know Connections NC, so don't email us or Twitter. Hey, do you know? I don't know. I'm just thanking them because that's what people who have good character do. We're referencing where we found out about this. We're not trying to act like. I've seen people snatch stuff and post it like theirs, you know. I didn't know how to do the YouTube game. If you notice, I know y'all probably were this. We don't really keep our YouTube page up to date. That was when I first used YouTube and I saw some videos and put them up. I didn't know how it worked and stuff like that. I didn't know the origin of them. Now I know how stuff was kind of working. But, and I think it's only right, you know. I, I don't I don't like YouTube. That's a whole nother conversation.
0: Yes, that's another
2: conversation. Another conversation. But, um you know, organic intellectuals such as ourselves, engage in theory and practice, also have to have good character, and just say where you got it from, you know, I, you know, we didn't put it up, and that's just where we got it from, that's where I record, where, that's where we got it from, so, thank you, Connections C. shout out to you for putting that up, I don't know if he got it from somewhere else, I don't know, I'm just letting you know where the origin of where we came into contact with this disquisition from Dr. Walter Rodney. All right, so the exact when and where, or when this lecture took place, you know, when we listen to it, it wasn't specified, and but we do know because when we listen to it, uh, that Dr. Walter Rodney does reference the year 1978, an awesome year, I might add. That uh, you know, I just love 1978 for some reason. I feel very close to that year. It's almost like if that year hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. You know, I don't know. Love 1978. Okay. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, I like it. You know, I better like it, right? (laughs) (laughs) And um, so we listened to the lecture, and we also noticed that upon listening to the lecture, that the audio quality wasn't the best. There were certain points in the audio where it even cuts out and does this staticky white noise. (laughs) Also, y'all know we've posted other lectures uh, from uh, other people remastered them at the time because y'all understand y'all know the importance of not having these priceless invaluable lectures only available in a place such as YouTube I guess I am going there a little bit on YouTube what do you think Zari am I going there
0: I was going to say that but I didn't want to interrupt you go ahead and say it well I was just going to say that you you we were going to talk about how we were taking it off of YouTube well Remastering it,
2: yeah, it's still available on YouTube uh, from Connections NC, and it, we we employ you to go look at it uh, if you want to see Dr. Walter Rodney moving in action and stuff. That I know we did, but the audio, like I said, the audio quality is not the best, and there are some cutouts in the audio. So, and YouTube
0: is not a hub for any type of information anymore. I mean, it was. Like you said, if, maybe if, it never if, was. If, if it really ever was, but was, it was—it was informational lectures and, and 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 disquisitions on there, and now they're being taken <laughs> down because now it is commercial tube yeah, slash yeah.
2: mall tube slash Galleria tube. Yes, they've basically gotten that. They've consolidated that shit down to like a neoliberal science. You know, I mean, like she just said, it is commercial tube. And I've already seen—we've already seen like certain videos that were once available and up disappear. You know, sometimes you we know we're not implying all of it because of some nefarious stuff. Uh, uh, Big Brother's watching, but sometimes the channel owner, you know, might not update the channel and just take down their channel, or or this is what you know. This is the this is the danger of leaving certain certain stuff of a of a political nature. That has a certain political leaning on a place like YouTube because YouTube might deem the video not becoming of its high standards. You know, you know, selling stuff and saying nigga, nigga, nigga all the time and stuff. Hey, nigga, buy this. I'm nigga. You know, stuff, you know, they're high, they're high, they're high <laughs> that's the new rapper. That's their high standards on YouTube. You know, you know, they just, you know, TNA, uh, morbid obesity is normal um, uh, people who say I identify as a good luck dragon now I'm no longer a human I'm a good luck dragon you got you can't stop my self-expression I'm uh, why does your self-expression need me to acknowledge your expression? <laughs> the only true self-expression where nobody needs to acknowledge it is masturbation. Hey, man, nobody's running around. Now is my masturbation. That's something you do by yourself. So, hey, hey, if you want to do that, that's fine. But when you say you have to acknowledge my self-expression, it's no longer just between you and yourself now, mm-hmm. is it? <laughs> I, I digress. But my point being, and Sister Zari can attest to this as well, you know, there's been like a hard right shift. You know, it's, it's even worse. And the reason why I'm saying it's always hard right here. Uh, but it's all hard in the West, but it's been a hard shift to the right and an in-depth internalization of neoliberal principles. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is not because it has not always been here. This shift and this internalization of these neoliberal principles are coming from so-called progressives and so-called black nationalists. Now, I do have a problem with the term progressive. I'm just using that term lightly because you know, I have a problem with them anyway, but people, you know, that would call themselves black nationalists, you know, they, they don't really, a lot of them don't even understand uh, what neoliberalism is. A lot of them don't understand what capitalism is. A lot of them don't understand what the damn Berlin conference is. A lot of them don't understand what neocolonialism is. They just black. They know about the pyramids. They know about the, they kind of know about the pyramids because it came out of your soul and spirit and essence. It didn't come because the ancient comedic people, our people, had an economy. Right. They had a political economy. They was working it. They just said, i Ra and shit, and, you know. Mm. Mm. They weren't really studying. You just <laughs> had to say, oh, oh. <laughs> and so our point is, if your so-called allies don't know the political temperature, uh, what do you think your professed enemies are on you know what I'm saying you know they shoot it's like your allies really are espousing your enemies political ideology but they don't even know it because all they have to do is have a feeling we don't have to study read this for suckers I have a spirit (laughs) not mitigating spirit but spirit as well as material come together and merge together there's a symbiosis there they're not separated you know, some people want to just be all material. Some people want to be all spirit. They don't know how to bring it together. It's kind of like, you know, am I a black nationalist or I'm a socialist? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a black nationalist. I got to run an economy. You have to have an economy. Yes. Okay. There you go. And there's nothing. And, and, and socialism, meaning communalism, is, hey, that's African like a mother. Right? So, I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. That's why they hate it. That's why they hate it. That's why I say, y'all want to take us back to the primitive jigaboo. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm in Texas. That's what you know, hey, hey, you know, you know, you know. We about community. We ain't sharing with no niggers. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy where where I'm located at. Where we're located at. And my point is that relying on YouTube as the sole distribution and repository apparatus for such gems as this lecture by Dr. Walter Rodney is una. Adulterated, folly, my good man, be folly. It's folly, young Negro lads. It's folly. And lattices. Lattices. (laughs) Y'all get what we're saying. It's unadulterated. Don't leave gyms. You gotta have multiple places to put this stuff in case YouTube start tripping like 1984, Big Brother. B. B. It's already on net though. B. See, y'all, y'all understand that Orwell if y'all read I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> with that understanding, similar to what we've done in the past, we decided to restore this audio Walter Rodney Crisis in the Periphery Africa and the Caribbean and feature this restored audio as our podcast episode. Alright, now, for those of you in the listening audience, and I've I'd imagine it's not a lot of you but if for those of you who, we, hey man we 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 it's we make Conscientization 101 feel like Conscientization 101 I know that made sense to y'all out there trying to do some entendres double <laughs> double the entendres okay for those of you who might not be familiar with our late great beloved Dr. Walter Rodney and we refer to him as Dr. Wall around here affectionately me and Zari call him Dr. Wall. Because once you study Walter Anthony Rodney, you will understand that we gonna have to go to war with imperialism if we want to not only save our lives, but the whole of the damn planet. Okay, I hope y'all, y'all, did you y'all, y'all, y'all got that intended pun? War. His name is Walter Anthony Rodney. Being the acronym for... I think they got it. They got, you think they got it, already I think they got it. Dr. Walters, Dr. Rodney's <laughs> initials. So by studying war... You, you got it. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what we want to do here is to give a brief biography on our dear brother, Dr. Walter Anthony Rodney, right now. <laughs> Walter Rodney, son
0: of a tailor, was born on March 23rd, 1942. Ironically, he was murdered on June 13, 1980, not very far from Bent Street in Georgetown, Guyana, where he was born and where he spent his childhood. After attending primary school, he won an open exhibition scholarship to attend Queen's College. In doing so, he was to blaze a trail as one of the early working class beneficiaries of concessions made in the field of education by the ruling class in Guyana to the fervor of nationalism which was sweeping the country in the 1950s. While at Queens he excelled academically as well as in the field of athletics. In 1960 he won an open scholarship to further his studies at the University of the West Indies in Jamaica. Rodney graduated with a first class honors degree in history. From UWI, he won an open scholarship to the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. At the age of 24, he was awarded a Ph.D. with honors. In 1970, his Ph.D. dissertation was published by Oxford University Press under the title A History of the Upper Guinea Coast, 1545 to 1800. This book, challenged the assumptions of Western historians about African history. While studying and living in London, Walter found time to participate in discussion circles, speak at Hyde Park, and, among other activities, participate in the Symposium on Guyana held at the West Indian Student Center in 1965. Rodney left London in 1966 to take up his first teaching appointment in Tanzania. He returned to the University of the West Indies to teach in January of 1968. The 1960s saw a resurgence of the mass movements in the Caribbean, which had their roots in the rebellions of the 1930s. Black people everywhere began once again to raise the question of power, who wields it, and in whose interests. In this ferment of ideas and insurrectionist mood, Walter Rodney rejected the traditional role which was ordained for the middle class in the Caribbean. Walter did not confine his activities to the cloisters and lecture rooms at the university, but shared his knowledge and exchanged ideas with the most despised and rejected elements of the Jamaican society, the Rastafari Brethren. So fertile was the ground for insurrection that when the authorities prevented him from re-entering the country after a visit to Canada to attend a black writers' conference, thousands took to the streets in protest against the ban and against their own conditions of living. Several persons were killed by the police and security forces, many were injured, and millions of dollars' worth of property destroyed. Rodney's second major work was the publication of The Groundings with My Brothers, a collection of the talks he gave while in Jamaica.
2: Having been expelled from Jamaica, Walter returned to Tanzania, where he lectured from 1968 to 1974. His journey to Tanzania and other parts of Africa coincided with the arm thrust of the African liberation struggles and helped to push him even further in his belief that the intellectual should seek to deepen his, her knowledge, making it available for the struggles and emancipation of the people. It was from such a theater that the final draft of his major work, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, was sent to Bogo Le Overture in London and was published in conjunction with Tanzanian Publishing House in 1972. In 1974, Walter decided to return to Guyana, and accepted an appointment as professor of history at the university. The government of then president of Guyana, Lyndon Forbes Burnham rescinded the appointment. Once again, he soon began to give talks on African history and helped in the general awakening aimed at breaking the stranglehold, which Burnham and his party held over the workers, especially at the bauxite mining town of Mackenzie. Walter threw himself into the campaign to free People's Progressive Party activist Arnold Rampersad, who was being held on a trumped-up charge of murder. Rodney later joined the Working People's Alliance, which was founded in 1974 and which became a political party in July 1979. On July 11th of that year, Walter, together with seven others, was arrested following the burning-down of two government offices. He was later charged with arson. From July 1979 up until the time of his murder, the Burnham regime consistently sought him out to persecute and harass him and at least on one occasion attempt to kill him. Burnham made no secret of his intentions and told Walter that he should make his will. On the evening of June 13, 1980, agents of the government succeeded and executing what they were promising to do all along. Walter was assassinated by a bomb in the neighborhood of his childhood haunts. Over the years, Walter had the support and encouragement of his wife, Pat. He was the father of three children, the eldest, Shaka, a son, and two daughters, Kanini and Asha. He also left behind a mother. Thousands of people from all over the world and all walks of life will forever cherish his memory and his works. From Walter Rodney Memorial Program, Kensington Town Hall, London, Friday, July 25th, 1980. Now, all right, as the bio pointed out, Dr. Rodney's major work was... How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. And we would like to go as far as to say it is an essential work that must be studied for conscientization. Why do we say that? Because this book is the wellspring to the understanding of political economy. Now, I want to make myself even more plainer than that. Because when you study this book, it imparts you with the understanding that Europe not just ripped off Africa in some distant past because of some evil whitey who just don't know we built the pyramids. No, it's it's not that simple. What you will find out by studying this book is that Europe's political economic development is based on the marauding of Africa. Okay? And, And the world in general, right? It is what Europeans like to euphemistically call modernization. So what am I saying here? Um, What I'm saying is this. Modernity for Europeans begins when our people started to go into chains for them with our first enslavement abroad that evolved into our enslavement at home. And that's known as colonialism. colonialism. So as Africa and Africans worldwide began to descend into backwardness due to the imposition of these Western Marauders, Europeans began to have a, a Renaissance period, and which led to the Enlightenment period, okay? See, we don't want to have no Enlightenment. We need to have an enlightenment to get back. I know no Enlightenment... The Europeans had enlightenment. I wanted, a, I wanted an enlightenment. damn it. <laughs> That's what's wrong with you, Negroes. Y'all want an enlightenment. <laughs> Wearing blue contacts and shit. I'm Blond, t- blonde contacts. Blonde contacts and blue contacts. Wanting to be enlightened. Looking like E.T. and shit. <laughs> but basically what I'm saying here, we are seeing a basic European economic formula. And what is that formula? This is the erudite formula I came up with. Sorry that I came up with this one, okay? Here it is. E does not equal A. I know it's deep. <laughs> I know it's deep. E does not equal A. So what you do is you write a capital E, the equal sign, and you put a forward slash through the equal sign. I'm taking y'all back to math. Back to, I'm sorry.
5: Back to the arithmetic. <laughs> yes
2: and then you could a capital A. So E does not equal A. And now, let me translate that into verbiage. What's good for Europeans is bad for Africans. I'm telling you, it took me a long time to come up with this formula. <laughs> and the thing about this formula is, the formula does not work in reverse. But see, the thing is, Europeans will, will, will lead you to believe it actually does work in reverse, okay? Think of this historical example. If them niggers get free,
5: what does that mean for us? Let's get white They want to take away our way of life.
2: Now, like I said, the formula doesn't work in reverse. So this statement is utter nonsense, okay? But I do want to add this caveat. In a sense, the affirmation statement I made in jest is true. And the formula does work in reverse if and only if one adopts the european world view let me say that again if and only if one adopts the european world view now i'm going to explain to you what the european worldview is And in my explanation, I'm not going to make it overly complicated. I'm going to make sure you understand what their worldview is. This worldview is best represented in the relationship between a parasite and its host. Or a vampire and their victim whose blood must be unmercilessly sucked. I don't just want to suck your blood, I need to suck your blood. With this understanding of the European worldview, those of us who seek freedom and extrication from the parasite and wish not to have our blood sucked anymore, we do in fact want to take away their way of life. And these are the very cogent realities that Dr. Walter Rodney elucidates in his magnum opus, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. And here we would like to quote a few passages from this awe-inspiring work. Page 138. King Leopold II of Belgium also used the anti-slavery excuse to introduce into Congo forced labor and modern slavery. Besides, all Europeans had derived ideas of racial and cultural superiority between the 15th and 19th centuries while engaged in genocide and the enslavement of non-white peoples. Even Portugal, an ass-backward motherfucking cracker mother... Okay, I'm sorry, that just came out. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Damn it. Even Portugal, an impoverished and backward European nation in the imperialist era, could still presume that it had a destiny to civilize the natives in Africa. There is a curious interpretation of the scramble and African partition, which virtually amounts to saying that colonialism came about because of Africa's needs rather than those of Europe. Africa, they say, required European colonization if it were to advance beyond the stage it had reached in the late 19th century. Clearly, they do not appreciate that such a line of reasoning was suggesting that Africa would develop if it were given Bigger doses of the European concoction that had already started its underdevelopment that it would develop if it lost the last remnants of its freedom of choice which had clearly been seriously undermined by the pre-colonial trade that it would develop if its economy became more integrated with Europe's on terms that were entirely dictated by Europe Page
0: 176. It was in Southern Africa that there emerged the most carefully planned structures of interlocking directorates, holding companies, and giant corporations, which were multinational both in their capital subscriptions and through the fact that their economic activities were dispersed in many lands. Individual entrepreneurs like Oppenheimer made huge fortunes from Southern African soil. But Southern Africa was never really in the era of individual and family businesses, characteristic of Europe and America up to the early part of this century. The big mining companies were in-personal, professional things. They were organized in terms of personnel, production, production, marketing, advertising, and they could undertake long-term commitments. At all times, interproductive forces gave capitalism its drive towards expansion and domination. It was the system which expanded. But in addition, one can see in Africa, and in Southern Africa in particular, the rise of a capitalist superstructure manned by individuals Capable of consciously planning the exploitation of resources right into the next century and aiming at racist domination of the black people of Africa until the end of time.
2: Page 179 to page 180. It was only after European firearms reached a certain stage of effectiveness in the 19th century that it became possible for whites to colonize and dominate the whole world. Similarly, the invention of a massive array of new instruments of destruction in the metropoles was both a psychological and a practical dissentive to colonized peoples seeking to regain power and independence. It will readily be recalled that a basic prop to colonialism in Africa and elsewhere was the gunboat policy, which was resorted to every time that the local police and armed forces seemed incapable of maintaining the metropolitan law and the colonial order of affairs. From the viewpoint of the colonized, the strengthening of the military apparatus of the European powers through colonial exploitation was doubly detrimental. Not only did it increase the overall technological gap between metropole and colony, but it immeasurably widened the gap in the most sensitive area, which had to do with concepts such as power and independence. The international division of labor of the colonial period also ensured that there would be growth of employment opportunities in Europe apart from the millions of white settlers and expatriates who earned a livelihood in and from Africa. Agricultural raw materials were processed in such a way as to form byproducts, constituting industries in their own right. The number of jobs created in Europe and North America by the import of mineral ores from Africa, Asia, and Latin America can be seen from the massive employment role of institutions such as steelworks, automobile factories, alumina and aluminum plants, copper wire firms. Furthermore, those in turn stimulated the building industry, the transport industry, the munitions industry, and so on. The mining that went on in Africa left holes in the ground and the pattern of agricultural production left African soils impoverished, but in Europe, Agricultural and mineral imports built a massive industrial complex. Woo-wee! Man, we told you. We told you that's the magnum opus, all right? And those quotes listening audience doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of Dr. Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. All right, now, Sister Zara, did you want to comment about the affirmation quotes, or talk about some of the things that were discussed. Just in those quotes alone, or about Doctor Dr. Rodney's Doctor Rodney's uh, how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Do you you wanted to have a quick discussion of what you just heard? Because I know that's jogging some memories. Because we both, of course, read the book. You know what I'm saying.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: So one thing I wanted that I thought about when we were reading those is how I was talking about that white people can have leaps in logic, right? So they can tell us that them coming over there is going to develop us when in actuality they interrupted our own independent development. Mm -hmm. When they came over there, started enslavement, started colonialism, started taking all the resources Mm -hmm. out. They don't build anything in Africa. All they do is take everything out. That's not development. It's not development. And that's the role that they gave us. So there's no way they can come over there and say that their imposition is development. As if we were just sitting there sucking our thumbs and weren't doing anything.
2: Exactly. And the reason why we look the way we look is because we are who we are. Our ontology. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. As opposed to you came over here and fucked us up. hmm Literally, and it makes me also think um, I want to give credit where credit's due. I don't want to leave the Arabs out. hmm Because I, I I understand my history in its totality. Mm-hmm. And what well, we got to understand something is that the Arabs had already um, started to war, wear down our sovereignty through their imposition, through their imperial conquest, through their uh, 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 colonization and making us to making us convert to their way? Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean we have been we were being enslaved by the Arabs, and who comes along out of this little slither? Uh, on the on the west side of the Iberian Peninsula, it's the damn Portuguese. Mm-hmm. They were the first ones in the trade, in the in the slave trade. And again, let me when uh Dr. Rodney says the pre-colonial trade, y'all, we ain't talking about the trade, you know, you say you just trading baseball cards and shit. That's a euphemism for genocide, that's a euphemism for war. They was enslaved in Africa. You know, because I hear a lot of you knucklehead niggas, and I said knucklehead niggas, I don't like to use that word without bleeping it out but I'm gonna leave it in here this time you knucklehead niggas say some uh, Hollywood fanciful shit like well why didn't they come over and get us it was all out war chaos on the continent the Arabs was after us and then you had the Portuguese in the uh, representing the Europeans who was trying to take over the trade the trade slavery from them okay so we it, as if we Knew where we were going. You act like we knew where we were going. They was kidnapping people. Right. It was no sovereignty for us. It was no sovereignty. It was just chaos. It was chaos. And also, we knew we were one people in the sense that everybody uh, we had seen before kind of looked like us. There was no Pan-African identity at the... So you're talking about now in the 21st century having this kind of all black people, Pan-African, black nationalist identity. Well, why didn't our black people then get us, where we had more of an ethnic identity. Mm -hmm. In the sense that like, you know, human beings all look, we thought human beings all look like us. Now, we might, we were aware of other people and what they look like, but in general, you know, human beings look like all black people, right? What we know now is black people. But we had different ethnic variations and idiosyncrasies, right? And the polities were set up differently. Yeah, exactly. The polities, the organized societies were set up different. All running on that uh, general African uh, uh, culture as our dear beloved uh, late ancestor Dr. Anta Giop said the cultural unity of black Africa. We had the cultural unity but it had different idiosyncrasies based on where it was on the continent. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I don't want to hear this knucklehead, why did they come and get us? And then y'all say, why they couldn't get us? They ain't my people. Blah, 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 blah. That's why I want to try to use a geniality test to find the crackers in my family. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there ain't no cracker looking for the niggas in their family. They sure so ain't. But you looking for the crackers in your family. That don't make no sense. And then you, and, and guess what? Like he said, the pre-colonial trade, the war down so they can say, man, we got so much. Man, look, y'all, okay, we got it. Y'all, all the niggas is over in the Western Hemisphere. The Spanish got some. The Portuguese got the most, right? Then the Anglo-Saxon crackers now call they, they want to call themselves new. They want to call themselves Americans. Okay, <laughs> even though they still say "God save the Queen," mm-hmm. burning hell. So they were all getting theirs, right? And then they said, "Hey, guess what? It's it's some wealth in these lands. Let me. We why don't we stay here and we just gonna enslave the Africans here in their own land? But how are we gonna uh, confuse the issue? We gonna say you got slaves in the Americas, and then you got colonialism over here." And then, like I said, the nitwit Negroes will sit up there and try to find the crackers in their family, knowing they look just like a sabukwe over here in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then the sabukwes over here, the sabukwe Negroes over there say, I don't know nothing about them people. They totally different. In fact, when they come to the America, I can't hang around them damn niggas is crazy. And lazy. Crazy and lazy. I've been told that niggas is crazy and lazy. And then it's, they don't like us. The white people don't like you, but you still love the white people. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we are one people. We're going to have to get over this, okay? Uh, don't nobody else in the world look like us but us, and that's coming from both sides of the Atlantic and in the little sprinkled land masses called the Caribbean. I don't know nothing about the Africa, yeah. yeah, yeah You know, I don't know. I'm Jamaican. I ain't doing it. I know I'm not doing it right. But we went, <laughs> we all come from one place because all y'all sit up there when I had hair trying to use my wave grease. And <laughs> your do-rag. Use my do-rag, but we ain't one people. I know you Negroes ain't using Vidal Sassoon back then. Now, I know y'all are now because y'all on some other shit. And eventually they do realize that they have to be around us when
0: they come up over here because they realize the racial issues in this country. Yeah.
2: So eventually that illusion is falls right apart. The illusion falls right apart, and uh, and 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 I I don't I want to I want to be I want to not bifurcate and keep the totality of what we're saying is also that, you know. People from the United States are so bougie, because you are in the empire, it's not because of some internal things that's natural to us because of genetics. It's because of the political economy. The U.S. is the empire, and sometimes being in a place that has so much, even when you poe, you got shit and don't even know it. Mm -hmm. Because your focal point is where you're at and they just saying, you niggas is poe, you niggas is poe, you niggas is poe, you niggas is poe. But you're really not. Mm -hmm. Then you say, I'm going to go to Africa and be a king and queen. Then you look around and say, man, it's pretty hard up over here. These black folks suck because you haven't studied political economy. Mm -hmm. they still being raped over there. The economy's still being plundered over there and we have to understand this. And Dr. Rodney makes this clear okay so I just I, you know I just wanted to say that and I just wanted to say that's why uh, works like Dr. Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa is so important because it stops the false compartmentalization compartmentalization of who we are as a people and brings us together as one and we understand that colonialism had different idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies for us and that we should not let those idiosyncrasies uh divide us and, but you know some kind of way we have to find out how these idiosyncrasies can bring back the one mm-hmm. do you see what I'm saying it's like Voltron you know you get the five lions you make the one Voltron kick imperialism's ass that's what we need to do but we run around here saying I'm the blue lion I'm the yellow lion I'm the red lion I'm the black lion I ain't got nothing to do with that line over there you put the line all together we make Voltron but we want to sit up here and, and we don't even know the history of the area where we at you see what I'm saying we don't even know about uh I asked somebody the other day uh I, they were saying oh I know all this stuff this that and the third about Africa and they was going into some pyramids and all this other stuff they couldn't tell me no contemporary shit I, I said can you name all uh the colonizers that created all the quote unquote modern states of Africa right now Name all the colonizers of Africa. Senegal, who was it? They was like, the the colonizers? Is that the Arab period? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We, you know, we go back to this, I don't know, mysticism. You see what I'm saying? And then what happens is you go back to the mysticism, you buy your plane ticket to Africa, and you think you're going to float in the pyramids. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, just like the, a regular man on road might do, you run around flashing your money, somebody go upside your head in a cry town. Mm-hmm. You feel me? And then you disappoint. And then him. you like, man, they stealing from their own brothers. Mm-hmm. Fuck them niggas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For life. For life. <laughs> it's because you don't understand the political economy hey, of right. what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing over here. You know, oh, the niggas over here are so crazy. We all crazy. Man, we all crazy. But we can get better with ourselves. And you start that by reading works by Dr. Walter Rodney. Because I've seen too many people saying they're black nationalists, but never heard of the Berlin Conference. Yeah. And never heard of neo-colonialism. I actually saw somebody's face light up in surprise. And they have over, I don't know, a lot of shows. And they actually said, wait a minute. those We didn't make those African countries. Had on the unk. Had on all these Sankofa birds. But said, we didn't make these African countries in the borders. That was a shock to this person that actually talked to a lot of prominent people, but didn't know that the quote-unquote countries of Africa and their borders were designed by European imperialism. Crazy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Anyway, read, 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 study, 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 put into proper practice. Thank Thank you, Dr. Walter Rodney. Now, all right, listening audience, in regards to Dr. Walter Rodney's other work, you can visit our website and check out his books we have in our library, as well as some exclusive writings of his that were made available to us, we now make available to you. Well, they've been up there for a while, so I mean, they, hey, check them out. Also, we wanted to mention this before we forget. Okay, so in preparing for this podcast episode, right, was looking at other Dr. Walter Rodney's other books, and uh, as you know, uh, I you know finished it. I think I finished it in 2020 or 2019, one of those. But it's it just was recently posted to our library. And that book, uh, it was a book that was posthumously released. And it was called A History of the Guyanese Working People, 1881 through 1905. And the foreword of this book was written by one George William Laming. And the brother recently made his transition. He's from Barbados. He was a writer. And Brother Laming was born actually June 8, 1927. And he transitioned over on June 4th, 2022, at the age of 94. And it was just four days before his 95th born day. So yeah, you know, that was just like, I was, you know, looking at Walter Rodney, we were preparing preparing for this interview, and I was like, oh wow, George Layman. And then I said, I wonder wonder if George Layman's still alive. And I looked up and he had just, you know, he had just passed on. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and say, you know, give our acknowledgement to Brother Layman. and we actually were first made aware of Brother George Laming's work from Ngugi Wa because Ngugi mentions uh, the profundity that his work had on him in Lamming's uh, novel that was called "In the Castle of My Skin." Okay, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I you know I read a lot of Ngugi. I read a lot of Ngugi. I actually, um, you know, one of the first books um, uh, before I started going back into like. I used to say, oh, I don't like novels because I was basing what all novels, all universally on shit like Jane Austen and Great Expectations and shit. Pip and all that shit, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sorry, that stuff we learned. Miss Havisham. Uh, Miss Havisham, stuff we learned. That's called world literature. Yeah, that's the classic. That's the classics as opposed this is some British shit, okay? You know, but literature is Britain, just like human is white. Oh, right. Yes. And so I used to say, oh, man, I don't like no novels because all they talking about is Miss Havisham Nim and where the out <laughs> Owie. Al- 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 so my, my, my point, my point being, I would say like, oh, I don't like novels. But I read in Googie, and the first book I remember I got from Googie, A Grain of Wheat. It's about the Mau Mau, but it's kind of after, quote unquote, independence of Kenya and some of the ramifications of that. I don't want to spoil that. Like, the, the, the ramifications of the struggle and what roles different people played in the struggle and they're celebrating their quote-unquote flag independence, right? So I said, well, let me go back. I got to read a little bit more. I want to get some more background into uh the Mau Mau so I can better understand this book. And I would suggest if you read A Grain of Wheat in Gugi Wan, Thion- in Gugi Wan Thongo's book, Read first Carolyn Elkins uh uh Imperial Reckoning. That's in our that's in our library as well on the site. That book is a basically tells you what the British did in Kenya. Barbaric stuff. The, the they had a, something called a screening process, which was basically torturing Kikuyu Africans uh because they were leading the Mao Mau the revolutionary struggle against settler colonialism brit in Kenya against the british so i read that to get the referential background and after i read that it made the novel uh a grain of wheat just come to life because i understand where the character's motivations was coming from because what had happened to them during this revolutionary struggle you see what i'm saying but i say all that to say this it was in googie where i learned about in the castle of my skin and to be all honest with you i picked up the book and read i couldn't really get into it and due to the fact I have like 50,000 books around, you know, I'm trying to read, I, I decided to set it down, but I'm probably going to pick it up again. So uh, I did want to say, though, I did however, enjoy George lamings forward to Dr. Walter Rodney's A History of the Guyanese Working People. I found that to be very astute and very percipient. So we just wanted to mention Brother Laming's transition as he has a direct connection to the work of Dr. Walter Rodney. Now, Just having mentioned Ngugi Watheongo and his connection to George Laming and the connection to Dr. Walter Rodney via writing the foreword for A History of the Guyanese Working People, another posthumous work by Dr. Walter Rodney was just released in August of this year and it's titled Decolonial Marxism, Essays from the Pan-African Revolution. And it is our dear brother Ngugi Watheongo who has written the Ford to this book, The Connections, right? Unlikely coincidence, not as much as you might think it is, because when you deal with the topics of like decolonization, African liberation, sovereign restoration, anti-capitalism, and so on, there are a number of writers, you know, you're going to encounter, better said, or going to have to encounter, you know what I'm saying? You know, being that they're dealing with the same topics, their works will overlap and build upon each other. I'm going to just name a few. Think about the works of Chinwezu, Ngugi Wan-Thiango, Walter Rodney, Aikwe Arma, Paulo Fieri, Amos Wilson, Dr. John Henry Clark, Ernesto Che Guevara, Marcus Garvey, C.L.R. James, Fidel Castro, George Jackson, and Marimba I just to name a few. When you read these people, right, you're going to see this person's going to mention that person, this person's going to mention that person, so... It's not all this, oh, this mystical, how did they make the connections? Because they're dealing with, the, we're dealing with a lot of the same things because they're in the same political trajectory. You see what I'm saying? For example, nobody can talk about having engaged in the writings of Marcus Garvey or the life of Marcus Garvey without knowing who our beloved late brother, Dr. Tony Martin is, because he was our preeminent Marcus Garvey scholar. Okay, you think you're reading something on Garvey and so say, I'm reading something on Garvey, you're reading something that probably Tony Martin wrote. You know what I'm saying? So, like we were saying, what we did find sublime, right, about these connections, the actual connection with Ngugi writing the uh, the forward for decolonial Marxism essays from the Pan-African Revolution, was that at the age of 84, that's how old Ngugi is, he's still making he's still going hard. And he's actually, you know, contributed to a body of Dr. Walter Rodney's work. The struggle continues, and how you say that in Swahili? Say it, Sister Zari. Mapambano yani delia. There you go. I think that's how you say. It. I think that's how you say it. I notice how it's spelled. It's spelled M A P A M B A N O space Y A N. A E N D E L E A. Okay, so hey, we gave it. an Yes, that was
0: my best effort.
2: There we go. Thank
0: (laughs) you. All right. (laughs) That's why the struggle continues. The struggle continues.
2: Your struggle (laughs) continues. All right, I wanted to get back to this book for a second. Uh, Dr. Walter Rodney's latest work, Decolonial Marxism: Essays from the Pan African Revolution. Uh, This uh, posthumously released book. um for a second. He did actually, uh, because we ordered, we actually uh pre-ordered the book uh August 21st, 2021, and we received it on August 2nd, 2022. And prior to that, he had another uh posthumously, it's yeah, hard to say that, posthumously released work, and it was called The Russian Revolution, A View from the Third World. We haven't got that one, but we, we're going to get a hold of that one at some point, but we did get a hold of Decolonial Marxism, uh, because um, barring the title, uh, we felt the subject matter uh, was very interesting, you know. And I was just, um, just the term, you know, decolonial Marxism, to me, it's kind of like a point our Ikwe Arma raises in uh, Mass of Marxism. It's in uh, an essay he has in Remembering the Dismembered Continent, also available in our library. You can click the link and go to Perunk and get that book. Kind of like, you know, universal struggle is called Marxism and all we have to do is like uh, you know um, uh, decolonize Marxism now I know Dr. Walter Riley obviously didn't pick the title but I'm just that's just I don't you know I'm not the, haven't read the book The books I know it's probably wonderful but it's just the title and Verso. is the publisher. Probably picked that title maybe for a broader artist. I don't know. Zara, you have anything about that title? No. Okay. I'm, there I go being nitpicky. But anyway, <laughs> we're gonna read that book and as soon as we read that book, i will be in the library. Alright. Now. In Conscientization 101's digitally remastered presentation of Walter Rodney Crisis in the Periphery Africa and the Caribbean Dr. Walter A. Rodney, Dr. Wall, discusses the following.
0: Why Africa and the Caribbean were integrated into the international political economic system in a peripheral and dependent position. The purpose of structural adjustment programs, SAPs, and we call them SAPs, and the International Monetary Fund, the IMF.
2: The International Motherfuckers.
0: (laughs) If I know that's right. How independent underdevelopment creates the illusion of growth at various stages. How nationalist struggles simultaneously contain the seeds of class struggle. And much more.
2: Now, we're almost ready to get into this episode. But like I said earlier about this lecture's audio quality, there are some uh, dropouts with that loud, staticky white noise. And so, you know, in order to correct this problem, you know, when you hear the following, that just means there was that staticky noise there and I just cut that out and then we brought everything together and the audio is going to pick up right off where it left off So after that. So just wanted to make you aware of that. All right. We now present to you Conscientization 101's Digitally remastered Presentation Of Walter Rodney Crisis in The Periphery Africa and The Caribbean Yeah
6: This evening I'd like to uh, welcome you To hear Walter Rodney will be speaking on crisis in the periphery of the world system, Africa and the Caribbean. Dr. Rodney is a historian, a political economist who's taught at the University of Dar es Salaam as well as the University of the West Indies and Cornell. He's lectured widely throughout the Caribbean, the United States, uh, Africa, and Europe. He's also the author of How Europe Underdeveloped Africa and co-author of The Silent Class Struggle. In Guyana, he's a member of the Working People's Alliance. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Walter Rodney. Good evening. It's not a (laughs) no-show. A few small problems like someone borrowing my briefcase and papers and things of that sort have disrupted the proceedings somewhat. Nevertheless, I think that on this particular occasion, I feel that I'm continuing a discussion because I'm no stranger to this context. And while it is true that the audience varies from time to time, and while it is true that my appearances here have been separated by intervals of two years or three years, as the case might be, it is still true that within an institution, certain traditions are established, and presumably, in an institution of learning, a tradition of learning and discussion is of the utmost importance. So I would like to feel that there would be a few people who have participated in earlier stages of the discussion, and that that there will be many more who have in some way, by proxy at any rate, also had a feel of some of the earlier issues which might have been raised in forums such as this, as the years have elapsed. Issues concerning the general condition of Africans on the African continent, of African descendants, the black people of this country and the Caribbean. And when on previous occasions, I have had the opportunity to join with you around these issues, I have sought at all times to try and establish a methodology more than anything else not to seek to be a pundit, not to seek to be a soothsayer, to gaze into any crystal ball to foretell the future, but to try first and of all to grasp problems in their correct dimensions and in their complexities, to describe accurately and therefore to lay a basis for a scientific analysis. And out of that, presumably, all of us collectively could begin to see the light, could begin to see the possibilities of the solutions. Because what matters most of all is that the questions be placed very clearly. When those questions are identified, it seems to me that we are on the way to getting an answer. But there are no answers to questions which are muddy, questions which are unclear. And I would like to remind some of the brothers and sisters who have been with us for some time that on previous occasions we had cause to discuss specific issues of the African and Pan-African world, like the significance of the regime in Uganda, like the trend of events in Angola like the pattern of social development in the Caribbean and I would like to feel that on most of these crucial issues the position which I myself sought to adopt in previous times has been vindicated and I say this not with any intention of a personal vindication but to illustrate the possibilities of the method which to which some of us subscribe. A method which for one thing, seeks to unite our comprehension as so-called scholars with our reality, with our being, with our day-to-day activities as we intervene in the historical process to produce change. There is a saying, particularly in Marxist and left-wing circles, That one ought to engage in praxis to unite theory and practice and very often that phrase is used somewhat cheaply it is bandied about perhaps without a full significance without a full appreciation of its significance because ultimately what it means is not merely that one theorizes and subsequently goes into practice derives from the effectiveness of the practice. There really cannot be any separation except the initial conceptual separation of of these two ideas. Now at the present time, I want to move forward to look at essentially the African and Caribbean sectors of the international world scene. Those two areas will interest directly a large proportion of people who are here this evening, and indirectly, presumably, it interests everyone who is here. And what we need to try and find is an overview which is an accurate or at least an approximate overview of our time. 1978, we are living in a process and we are going to struggle, however difficult it may be, to temporarily abstract ourselves from that process, as it were, and to see it in its objective clarity. We live, and inevitably, when we live in a social situation, it is often difficult to do that abstraction. I know that it's always easier to do it as a historian, to see the period, to see the epoch when it is concluded. But when all of the tendencies are still incomplete, That of course is when the analysis is most difficult, and when we will make mistakes. So I'm not, as I said at the beginning, intending to act as a pundit or as a guru. Maybe mistakes will be made, but we want to grasp the essentials and the inner movement of the period of time in which we are living as African and or Caribbean peoples. And first and foremost, I would like to locate our existence within the international system that for the longest while, from at least the 15th century, we have been part of a particular system of production. Our labor, our land and our resources have been integrated into that particular system. That system has determined whether or not land has been a commodity in our society whether or not labor has been a commodity. It has even determined that we ourselves have been commodities and have been sold as slaves. It is a system which at some time says, you are a colony, you are to be ruled by a white administration. And then when the contradictions reverse that process and we move towards independence, the system has had a number of new answers. And we want to deal with the new answers after a very brief evaluation of where this African and Caribbean world has reached. Because we have reached a point, more or less, of national independence. It is true, and it must be acknowledged, that the national independence movement of the Third World, and of Africa and the Caribbean in particular, has come almost to its conclusion. We see only the very last phases of that movement in Southern Africa today. And we ought to recognize the historical weight of that movement. It is not to be treated lightly. There was a time not so long ago in our lifetime when the continent of Africa and the area of the Caribbean was colonized, a specific political conjuncture, and one which many people expected to last at least until the end of this century, if not until the end of the next. There was a period not so long ago, at the end of the Second World War, when it was not considered even sane to conceptualize a free Africa or a free Caribbean. When Winston Churchill said that there would be no dissolution of the British Empire except over his dead body, he was making a statement on behalf of a ruling class. He was expressing a perception that they did not see freedom even in the limited sense of political independence for African peoples at home in Africa and in the Caribbean. And they had to be a counter vision to the vision of the ruling class a counter-vision which was perhaps best and most ably represented in the activity and the thought of Kwame Nkrumah. And out of that vision and out of the activity of African peoples they swept away the whole superstructure of colonial rule. Let us not for a moment underestimate the revolutionary significance the way in which the map of the world was transformed by the initiative having been seized by African people, by the people of the Caribbean. In our own instance in the Caribbean, come the the Second World War, we were seemingly in the doldrums. There was a period when the British metropolitan government had more or less abandoned the Caribbean, had said the British West Indies had become a backwater were prepared to trade the Caribbean off to the Americans for whatever they could get during the Second World War. And yet our people forcibly reminded them of our existence and said, never mind whatever tatters you have left after centuries of exploitation, we still demand that basic right of autonomy and self-expression. So we won in spite of the odds. That is one aspect of the dialectic. We put it aside and we see that there is another aspect, that one does not sit back and assume that this national independence per se, in and of itself, means that either the day-to-day social life of the African and Caribbean peoples has improved, or that they have assumed any greater control over their production, over their culture over their future this this assumption would be false we have to be in a way having accepted the, the validity and vitality of the revolutionary nationalist movement we now have to become self-critical of that movement and to see its basic shortcomings the movement produced african rulers someone was telling me not long ago about a rather crude racist joke, which is popular in Zambia. But in spite of its crudity, it makes a certain point. And what it does, it, it, it simulates a conversation between a white who is a, an engineer in Zambia. Because the Zambians have a lot of white engineers, South Africans. So this South African, Africana white engineer in Zambia supposedly goes home to the Republic of South Africa and meets Vorster, the former prime minister, who was his boyhood friend. They hadn't seen each other for a long time and he didn't know what Vorster was doing, so they were exchanging information. And he says, Well, I'm an engineer. And Vorster says, Well, since you went away, I became prime minister of South Africa. And he says, Oh, where I come from, that's a black man's job. Now, a kind of crude racist joke, but if you know South Africa, you get the point. You know South Africa. So it's a black man's job nowadays, prime ministerships. You have a lot of black prime ministers. The Washington Post was describing the vice, the vice, second, what's his official position? The deputy prime minister of Guyana as a large black man, so we have,
0: <laughs>
6: we have black men of all shapes and sizes who are prime ministers. And in a certain sense, that doesn't carry us very far. We want to see what substantial changes, if any, what movement is taking place within the African and Caribbean world today with respect to its location to the same international system into which we know that we have been located. And one has to be quite sobering in this because looking at it realistically, there is not a lot to shout about. There is not a lot to celebrate. The role of Africa and the Caribbean in the the international system has been becoming more and more marginalized, more and more peripheral. In fact, frankly, regressive. There is nothing to shout about, nothing to celebrate. We we were integrated into the world system in a peripheral and dependent position. But over and above that, the changes of recent times, changes of technology, changes of the forms of capital accumulation, and changes in the manner in which capital subjugates both the domestic economy in Europe and America as well as the broader international economy, these changes have conduced to making Africa and the Caribbean more marginal. Take, for example, our share in international trade. It continues to decline. We command year by year a smaller proportion of the gross trade as conducted between nations, while the developed, so-called developed countries of Europe and North America and Japan share amongst themselves an ever-increasing proportion of that world trade. And that is just one of the indices. Many of the other indices can be used to illustrate a decline in our productive capacity or certainly in our production can be used to show that there has been, in many instances, a minus growth rather than any positive growth in the economies of several, of many, many African and Caribbean countries. That we struggle even to produce a few percentage points of growth in the conventional bourgeois sense. And at the same time, the population increases and at the same time the rate of inflation increases so that we can in fact say we are registering a negative growth. And if that seems rather abstract test it at the level of the goods and services available to our peoples to recognize that in many instances the level of available goods and services has fallen the ability of our people to command resources in these so-called independent African countries as a whole has declined. And there may be one long-term explanation or one explanation that goes towards underscoring the long-term significance of that change is that the products which we originally were assigned are no longer products that are central or vital to the development of capitalism. And note, I said, the products which we were assigned. In the Caribbean, we were assigned sugar. There was no choice. The Ghanaians had an assignment of cocoa. The International Division of Labor allocated to the Senegal and to Gambia and to the Gambia the role of providing groundnuts or peanuts, as we call it. And those functions, which were at one time perhaps crucial, either to the production of food, to maintain the working classes, to reproduce the working classes in Europe and America, or were important as raw material inputs, as in the case of cotton, are no longer vital to the capitalist system. At best, we find their replacement, in a few instances, by one or two products that are now considered essential to the world system as defined from the center, as in the case obviously of petroleum, as in the case obviously of chrome, still of golden box and diamonds, and still obviously the case with any fissionable materials which are crucial to modern nuclear technology. But there is a lesson to be learned in looking at the relationship between one of the older traditional crops or product lines such as say sugar or cocoa and what is presumed to be the case with the newer, more dynamic lines such as say petroleum. There is a serious lesson that we need to, to learn and that would suggest that even with petroleum we are not in Nigeria or in Trinidad and Tobago, we are not moving through a stage of development, that we are still locked into the pattern of dependent develop, development or rather dependent underdevelopment. Because with oil as with sugar, in spite of the seeming differences, the choice of product is still the choice made from the center. The rationale for production is still derived from the central economies, from the metropolitan core economies. The market is still external to the area of production. It is still the old pattern of the export of a primary good, of the export of that which the economy does not really consume. And it is clear that what has happened in the past is that dependent on the development, has tended to create the illusion of growth at various stages. That if, for the sake of illustration, between the two world wars, cocoa brought money to Ghana or to the Gold Coast as it was then, at a time when the economy was becoming monetized and when commodity production was becoming generalized, Then it created an illusion that the future was with cocoa, that wealth lay if one could get hold of a farm which would produce cocoa. And long after the reality had changed, take today, long after cocoa means anything in terms of a money earner to the Ghanaian or to the Avricos or to the Nigerian people, we find large masses of africans who are still locked into the cycle of cocoa production of course they're not simply following an illusion they are locked in because structures have been created that maintain them that way and they're locked in because classes arose historically within our own society and segments of those classes at any rate still feel that their objective interest is bound up with the type of economy and the type of dependent relationship which might have been the case or which was the case when cocoa was the principal crop. And we could by analogy, an independent investigation, make the same case for sugar. But then the time comes when one crop goes and the the capitalist system is capable of selectively substituting another product which will reintegrate different parts of the the peripheral world into capitalism. But the choice is a metropolitan choice. And whatever they do at a particular point in time, they are free to undo at a later stage. We do not have the control over the process. This is a warning against illusions that might be created by things like nigerian oil and trinidad and tobago oil because it's clearly a situation in which they're at the level of the subjective it's the same phenomenon that say the people of trinidad and tobago imagine that oil means wealth that the extraction of that product is in and of itself the basis of development That is no different from the illusion that might have been created in the late 19th century when Jamaicans started to export bananas and thought that they were onto a good thing. No different from the illusions created by cocoa and coffee and cotton and sisal and every other product that was determined in its essence, as far as production in the world scale was concerned, determined by capitalism at the center. Not chosen by our people as an integral part of an autonomous development not chosen by all people as part of the development of all of our economic resources. So it is a shortcoming that we have to watch out for. Over and above this marginalization in the broad sense because of the changes in technology and the changes in the value of the products which we produce and which we sell to the capitalist world, we also find ourselves the victims of the international economic depression, the, the international economic crisis, I should say, because it, it exhibits uh, features which are uh, partially uh, features of a depression and features of a recession. But, again, this is something in which we live. And if we think about it enough and we look around ourselves, we, we, need, not th- we need not feel that it is an abstraction. It is something which we are living from 1974 the capitalist world has been in perhaps the most serious the most pervasive the most peculiar of its economic crises even the bourgeois economists themselves are looking back and they're saying this thing is far more deep-seated far more wide-ranging than the so-called great depression of the 1930s and if we were to go even further we would find that a hundred years ago in the 1870s, the period 1878, 1879, Europeans used to speak about a Great Depression. The term was used in the 1870s. It was reused in the 1930s to represent points at which the international economy was in severe crisis. And whenever that international economy was in severe crisis, As always, I imagine with any social system, the system had to take stock of itself and the system had to take new initiatives in order to survive. I'm gonna suggest that right now, the international economic system, having been in crisis for these last few years, has been taking stock of itself. That the capitalists who man this system, whose consciousness of the process in which they live is now sharper than ever, are aware of the overall ramifications of the crisis, even where they don't have an immediate answer. And very often, we who live in the peripheral world, we amble along without recognizing what it is doing to us and what is its real significance. Above all, for us, the significance is that the burden of the depression will be passed over to us whenever and wherever possible. That is happening throughout the third world. If you were to make an examination of inflation and identify the specific products that now with a certain proportion of inflation and then trace the the export of those those products you will see the export of that inflation to third world countries including some of the vaunted oil rich states of the middle east those are also ones that import the the, the inflated products and in in that sense accept the inflation from the central capitalist countries which of course is not new because in previous depressions central capitalism has also sought to export the depression to export the penury to export the pressure created by contradictions internal to the system in Europe itself a system which believes in the private appropriation of the products of labor, although whether it likes it or not, it has become more and more socialized as the days go by. So the international capitalist system is has never been more socialized than it is today. Social forces all over the world enter into the, the making of the products which are sent out by capitalism. And yet it has never being more private in its appropriation. Never has so much wealth been concentrated in so few hands in a system that has been globalized in its uh, social content. And these contradictions emerge, first of all, in the center where capital resides, where capital concentrates, and they are then exported to the rest of the third world, to the rest of the world. We only need to look at the principal indices of the crisis. One, the rate of inflation, two, the degree of unemployment, and three, the instability of major international currencies. And you see how in each of these instances, the crisis, however great it may be, in Britain or in Germany or in the United States, is far less than the extent of the crisis in Africa and the Caribbean, that's that's for sure, and the central capitalist countries have some mechanisms for dealing with the problem. They establish priorities, they pass legislation, they take steps to try and cope with the three problems I've mentioned. Whereas in our economies there is nothing but laissez-faire, because there is no power locally resident in the African and Caribbean economies to cope with these major problems. Inflation, which obviously runs the high rate here, which is really not being curbed in any of the major capitalist countries, not even in Japan or in West Germany, is something which when exported to the third world means far more than it does here. Partly because the margin for survival in the in the third world is often so slim and partly because of the lack of control over our indigenous economies so that one finds a situation where goods and services spiral in value day after day where housewives go to the shops and literally see prices changing like magic in front of their eyes you have to do a little act of imagination if you are not accustomed to walking the streets of accra or walking the streets of georgetown to understand how dramatic can be the changes in price levels in those parts of the world don't imagine anything that you complain about in this part of the world however valid those complaints may be do not imagine they compare in intensity and in extent with the rate of inflation in the third world countries a rate of inflation that has not only destroyed for the most part any possibilities of savings on the part of the working class it has even reduced sectors of the so-called middle class back to the level which they themselves thought that they had put behind them the level of not been employed and will not be employed under the present arrangements that exist where governments in fact have abandoned the possibilities of offering anything approaching full employment in their society and even those who are employed are underemployed. Either they are employed for part of the year or they're really being given jobs which are in effect ways of social assistance, jobs that are not themselves productive, jobs in, a, in an expanded bureaucracy. And then when the economy gets into serious crisis, a force such as the IMF comes in and says, well, we want to make sure that you maintain your balance of payments And we want to make sure that none of the credits that we give you are going into non-productive services like the bureaucracy so there's more unemployment when they advance. And if there's inflation before they came in, there is more inflation uh, as they enter because they insist upon the removal of such things as subsidies which may be vital, subsidies on basic foodstuffs and items which are necessary for, for life in these parts of the world. So inflation and unemployment assume tremendous dimensions. They have some grisly human aspects, some very frightening human aspects. friends and I were discussing the phenomenon of crime in Guyana, a part of the world which under normal circumstances, I would say is relatively crime-free certain types of colonial societies were not necessarily societies in which there was the production of a lot of crime certainly even until now we have a limited amount of crime and we have no organized crime but there develops within the context of the unemployment and allied social pressures a species of very violent and depraved personal crime the type that you would call mugging which we more appropriately and evocatively would call choke and rob and you better believe that it is choke and rob, you see, because you get choked first. <laughs> and that, that, of course, is really crime of the poor and the poor. It is part of a vicious cycle in which the poor prey on each other because the structure of society, which I will continue to elaborate later, of course ensures that a segment of the population is accumulating and protects its accumulation. And they cannot be touched, so the poor prey upon the poor. And then, of course, when it comes to financial instability, our countries are totally at the beck and call of the large, of the major currencies because of our patterns of export. All of the independent third world countries, of course, have relations with one or other currency group. Those who were former British territories used to have their currency pegged to the pound sterling. And two or three years ago, when the pound sterling was slipping, most of them shunted over to the American dollar. They said, let's leave these shifting sands and and set up on the American rock. (laughs) Because nothing could ever happen to the American dollar. (laughs) And one is not sure what those individuals are thinking of today, But then of course, our prime ministers, these black men, large and small, (laughs) have such a capacity that one would not be surprised if they announce that they are shifting to the Japanese yen. (laughs) Looking for something. However far east you have to go, maybe there would be something there for a year or two. A purely adaptive strategy accommodating to whatever takes place in the central capitalist world with no capacity of our own to regulate affairs. Now this decline in social and economic circumstances of the third world is not merely an export of the crisis in the metropoles in material terms, but more profoundly looking at it, I think it is the export or the re-export of particular class relations of production i'm going to try and deal with that concept if it doesn't come over very clearly it's because i myself am struggling to achieve some clarity with the idea but i believe it to be that that, that there is some there is a fundamental truth in that direction that at the present moment the international capitalist world is using the opportunity of the crisis to ensure that it replicates a certain type of social relationships on a world scale. That it is trying to ensure that the classes which will arise within Africa and the Caribbean will both mirror the classes that exist in Europe and more importantly ensure the patterns of flow of surplus from from all parts of the world to the central capitalist parts of the world because in the midst of all of this decline about which I have spoken nothing is clearer than the fact that in Africa and the Caribbean a certain minority has continued to accumulate if it is a fact that the nations of a whole, as a whole have grown poorer then it is equally a fact that a certain minority has grown much richer and we don't need to spend a lot of time at the moment in trying to be very precise in defining this new class that is emerging it seems to me that it is hard to dispute the empirical evidence that it is emerging that wherever its focus may be and I think it changes from one African country or one Caribbean country to another there is this class emerging and that it is very closely tied to the state apparatus and uses that for the purposes of its own reproduction now everywhere that is true that this class has been defending its accumulation at the expense of the increasing immiseration uh, and pauperization of large majorities of the peoples in this country. But these classes find it difficult to carry out this feat unaided. Within the context of the international crisis, even those sectors of of the peripheral African and Caribbean ruling class, which had sought a measure of freedom from capitalist domination, are now returning to underscore and to subscribe once more to the domination of capital in a frank alliance which recognizes the sovereignty, as it were, of metropolitan capital in its multinational form, and recognizes at the same time that they will play a subordinate role, a role which for them involves the the perk that they will at least be able to continue with the exploitation of the labor of their own peoples. We see this particularly in the aforementioned uh, situation of the International Monetary Fund because it is striking the number of interventions that have been made in recent times by the Fund, not only shoring up capitalism in Britain and in Portugal, but in Egypt and in Sudan, in Peru, in Guyana, in Jamaica, and the list will lengthen because a lot of other Zambia's already got, Sierra Leone is is going to be in line, a whole range of African and, and, and Caribbean countries are almost lining up to go to the IMF for help. Now, whatever that means, they're going to the IMF for help. And what the IMF says, in brief, is that we are going to help on certain terms. Our terms of reference have not changed since we were instituted in 1944. Our terms of reference are fundamentally to ensure the flow of goods and the flow of profits for capitalism on a world scale. So we will help to to buttress a particular ruling group within any given African state or any given Caribbean state, provided that ruling group at the same time at least accepts as as basic the need for their own economy to continue to uh, produce surplus and to export that surplus to the metropolitan world and if that is so inevitably the need to continue the exploitation of its own population along certain lines two of the most dramatic examples were in egypt and in peru dramatic because the level of resistance of the ordinary people of egypt was very high and it had to be crushed by the Egyptian army that was the alliance between Sadat and his clique and his class and international capital. In Peru the struggle is still going on, a very protracted struggle where the working class and sections of the middle class are saying to the Peruvian ruling class, we do not accept to be sold to the IMF, to, to be part of a deal by which your position over us is guaranteed at the expense of this uh, destruction of the living standards of the Peruvian people. And in Guyana, on a smaller scale, it is the same struggle. Workers and peasants who are aware of the fact that the policies that have been pursued in recent years and policies which have been intensified since Guyana decided that it was going to go to the IMF to get certain standby credits and compensation payments that these policies undoubtedly wipe out whatever minor gains the workers might have won through their own struggle in the colonial period and in the early years of independence and leaves them naked and exposed to a new form of exploitation which in our instance may not be through the private ownership of the means of production But the net result is exactly the same, we will continue to export in the form of compensation payments and in the form of other kinds of remittances, precisely the same value and more which we had exported when there was foreign ownership of the means of production. And the whole economic pressure has created the most amazing political scenario in Africa and the Caribbean. Because you cannot have an economic situation which is deteriorating that rapidly. You cannot have the rise of an indigenous African and Caribbean petty bourgeoisie, which is so ravenous and which is so willing to waltz with international capital. That cannot take place without at the same time there being political distortions within the system, reflective of those facts. And in many ways, it is easier even to start by identifying those political distortions and asking for the explanations why these distortions take place. Because frankly, nowhere in the world do you find a scenario of politics to compare with some African and Caribbean states. One could write a scenario that is is, is a shared tragedy, and one could write a scenario that is a comedy and they would both be applicable (laughs) because the politics is nowhere so comic as far as the ruling classes are concerned but the consequences are nowhere more tragic as far as the working people are concerned
4: once upon a time In an obscure part of the milky way galaxy there was a spinning ball of water and rock ruled by the forces of evil the devil himself proud of the magnificent achievements of his children decided to call a special banquet for the greatest thieves in all the land he sent invites to thousands of the greatest murderers rapists and general assorted scum inviting them to attend his palace at the dawn of the new moon. Each thief would be given a chance to stake his claim as the greatest messenger of murder upon the planet, and the devil himself would then decide who should be crowned king. After many days of deliberating, all of the petty thieves, such as street criminals, had been found far short of the required level of wickedness, and there were just four sets of thieves left in the competition they were the monarchs of empire a cartel of bankers the heads of religious orders and the third world dictators each set of thieves appointed a spokesman to give his case to the devil we have recorded these events for posterity ah oh. listen Uh, okay. Yo. First up was the thief with the worst reputation. Dictator of the third world nation.
7: He looked the devil in the eyes. He spoke in an oh-so-serious tone. Dear Mr. Devil. I am the greatest thief that ever has been on Earth. Please tell me who else, more than me, personifies your work. I came to power in a military coup. I murdered the elected president He wanted to use the resources of our country For our people's benefit I proved the masters in the West I could kill my own people as well as the best So I took over the so-called independent country When the foreigners left Sent squads of death for those who would suggest power should be the ones they elect Erected a statue of the great man The raped our mothers, stole our lands That's how little self-respect I have Don't fight slavery, it makes me glad Accounting Switzerland, Rolls-Royce Murder or rape because I want new toys Don't want abortion, a whole fortune With that profit was a little bit of torture Even outlawed my culture and language and history and taught our people to only worship colonizers and of course me <laughs> So impressed with this wonderful man, you almost ejaculated on his hands, but the monarch of the empire said, excuse me, Mr. Devil, I'd like to speak to you if I know. Who do you think trained this amateur dictator to behave this way? Yeah, I'm sure before I came along, his country was far from heaven. But look at the carnage I've caused all over the earth. It's got to be the work of the devil. Countless deaths, mass enslavement, deliberate starvation of whole nations. The dictator tries his best, but looking at me, he's just an imitation. Who do you think pays his wages? He would love to be trading places. I've been doing this thing on the roads way back, way back, way back since the mid of ages. Everybody knows he's a criminal element. They think I'm democratic and benevolent and that shows that I'm really devilish because people think I'm heaven sent. I couldn't care about democracy. You all know no one elected me. The people love me despite my crimes. Sucker MCs want to buy my shine. So bling and out of control you would vomit. Don't even touch dope but my face is on it.
5: It's the of the feast. The
7: I'm a pervert using the cloak of the clergy, yes I'm a pervert using the cloak. I'm a despicable character. I use my position of authority and spiritual reverence. I'm a despicable character. Mr Devil, allow me to speak All the religious leaders that leech In the world of creeps, I'm initiated Take people's faith and I dissipated with false promises hollow oratory, don't need a gun To stay like robbery Dear Mr Devil, I thought you would like it I use a faith in God to keep them blinded On a nice voice, read them a book And they believe that I'm not a crook Tell them God will repay them in the neck They give me the life savings so I can buy jets All the reports about child sex None of us have ever gone jail yet. A system of stealing, so appealing Convinces the victims that life
0: has meaning Monarchs to about conquest But needed my blessings to get it done, and all of the dictators use my books, therefore, they are just my sons The
7: devil was sure this was the winner, and was just about to put an end to the dinner, but then the man from the banking cartel stepped up and said I think I'm the biggest sinner, all of those three depend on me, all they ever do is defending me, cause I paid for all of the things they have, of course, and the life that they lead Paid for the guns, bombs and the tanks, that's why you see there is always more, I turn science, basic appliance, into a client of weapon of war, paid for monarchies, robberies, I make monopolies out of property Never shot a gun, nor kill anyone, my But billions die because of me Who needs a threat? I make a debt out of thin air Just sit back and collect Every single day Whatever they say The people need me just to connect Yet none of them knows what I look like Yet all of them spend my money To look nice They want more No one's pure I hold the keys to every single door Sell sex and drugs profit and lies Earth and skies I even sell life I even sell freedom For the right price They're not smart enough to ask me nice So Mr. Devil Give me the medal Don't be biased If you don't give it to me I'll just buy it
1: (laughs) of the thieves, come and dine with me, it's the banquet of the thieves, the banquet of the-
6: You move from one Caribbean state to another. You find these aberrations that sometimes when you think of certain films or certain novels, certain pieces of fiction, which have been denounced as fiction as having no bearing on reality, you wonder whether in fact you are dealing with fiction or with reality. Prime Ministers who shuffle around who resign and threaten to resign more often than any others in the world. Prime Ministers who dress themselves up in different costumes. One day a general, the next day a chief of police. Prime Ministers in Africa who go to the prisons and haul out prisoners and beat them themselves. A Prime Minister who makes his wife the chief of the opposition. are not things taken from novels <laughs> those are descriptions of what actually transpires in African and Caribbean states and really what one has to ask is why is that possible If we were to take a well-known and classic example to which attention has been focused for a number of years why is an Amin possible not who he is and what he does but how was it possible in a place like Uganda And it seems to me that the possibility of a buffoon and a murderer becoming a head of state is very much connected with the location of Africa in the international capitalist system, its marginalization, particularly in cases such as Uganda, where the primary crop was no longer as important, and the fact that the distortions produced as a particular cumulative class led at the time by, by, by Obote tried to, to to absorb as much as it could try to squeeze as much as it could out of the ugandan people it created this distortion and out of this the monster I Amin mean, arose but he's not just an individual phenomenon he can be explained in those historical terms and because uganda is not central to the production of surplus in the world, in, in the world system then imperialism sits back and laughs they don't have to enter and intervene in that situation. They simply have to hold them up as an example of what an African ruler is like, another large black man ruling this society and being a buffoon, you see. So they gain both ways. They are responsible for the fundamental distortions, but then they sit back and gain some propaganda value from the fact that Africans behave in that way when they are located in a specific historical and class conjuncture. And this can be illustrated in other ways. Not only the areas that are marginal, but the areas that have been reintegrated into capitalism are also made to carry out the same absurd political functions. The old Congo now Zaire has never really been relinquished by imperialism because of its importance as a zone of mining production and as an area for the concentration of monopoly capital, second to to no other part of the world uh, with the exception of South Africa. And in that area, it is imperialism that has consistently maintained the most reactionary and authoritarian and in a certain sense almost Comic regime in Africa, that of Mobutu, of Zaire, a man who descends from heaven every day on the television. That is his role uh, in in, in Zaire. But on every occasion, as you know, that the Zairean people have made serious efforts to deal with this imperialism has been quick to intervene. This is not a Uganda growing coffee, we're talking now about uranium and copper and gold and diamonds and bauxite, so that we don't play around there and describe Mobutu as a a buffoon. You move in and you help him to liquidate large numbers of other Africans who are trying to create a rational society. And the same applies to Egypt, which at one time under Nasser had flirted with the more radical forms of nationalism, had sought to create some national bases at any rate, even if national capitalist bases in some instances, or state capitalists. But since the swing with the Egyptian petty bourgeoisie, we find of course that it's possible for them to move into a very close alliance with Sadat. I was surprised to read an article only about three weeks ago. And things that African leaders do And Caribbean leaders do, don't normally surprise me. I thought I had exhausted the capacity to be surprised by African and Caribbean leaders, but Sadat taught me something new. (laughs) I read this article and I found out that Sadat was in France and he was in Austria and he was negotiating with the French and the Austrians about the possibility that France and Austria would export their nuclear waste to be buried in Egypt. We know, those of us who are familiar with the pattern of life in this society, we know that capitalism, in its drive for profit maximization, has been totally oblivious of the effects on the environment. We know that they have been uh, killing the environment in the process of expanding capital. But the alienations which this has produced in the capitalist countries themselves has at least sparked off the ecological movement and now there is some resistance to the wanton development of this type of technology and therefore in this country, in Germany, in Austria, in France, etc. people are saying, we refuse to have you planting nuclear waste in the soil when you yourself know that you have no control over it for the next 2,000 years when you yourself know that this is the most vicious form of pollution. So capitalism has been restrained in the center from going full blast ahead with certain types of nuclear development which involve the expansion of nuclear waste. And here is a foremost African head of state, seriously sitting down with Europeans and advancing spurious arguments to the fact that there is more space in Egypt and the substrat is more stable, and he is contemplating the possibility of doing some deal with these Europeans so that he becomes the nuclear garbage heap of Europe. (laughs) As I said, I don't think I'm easily surprised, but if you chew on that, you will realize that you really have to do a lot of chewing. (laughs) Now in that framework, of course one is thinking about the possibilities of social change, the analysis but what is happening is only intended to be a, the first step in an analysis or a program or at least some sense of direction of what, where changes are possible. And what I'm going to emphasize briefly in that respect is the question of who makes the changes rather than what changes are made. Because I think we have in part been trapped by the question of what changes should be made. And if I were to make a self-criticism, I would say that I too might have been trapped by that vision. In the sense that, in the past, if you made this critique, somebody, someone will come to you and say, well, tell us what you would do. Tell us what the economy should look like. What is the proper development plan for Guyana or Barbados or Ivory Coast as the case might be. And there you go knocking your brains trying to devise a program of development. But of course, this program of development has to be implemented by somebody, by someone, by some social group. It surely cannot and will not, for the very reasons implicit in this analysis, it cannot be developed by the present state systems, by the classes that presently control that state. And therefore, it seems to me that we have to shift from that. Although we need to look at it in a technical sense, ultimately, and to be far more rational and scientific in planning we need to concentrate more on who will do the changes who has the right to reassess the situation and in this context i will fall back on a social class analysis because it seems to me that that is the only valid way that we can understand how the societies are functioning and which groups can make a contribution ultimately although i have to oversimplify African and Caribbean society breaks down into two large components, or to two components with power. There is the power of working people that derives from the fact that they produce, and the producer always has that power, sometimes only a potential power which has yet to be actualized, but it is always there. And there is the power of the social groups who control the state, who control the allocation of resources and the allocation of surplus in the society. Now for Africa, let us exclude for a moment the direct intervention of multinational capital and concentrate on the political scene where undoubtedly the indigenous state has an autonomous capacity and it has a capacity to wage struggle on behalf of its own class vis-a-vis the workers and peasants of Africa and the Caribbean. And in that context we therefore need to identify the social group the leading social group which will both command the struggle provide the organizational basis for the struggle provide the ideological underpinnings of the struggle and we can proceed inferentially we can exclude one group as a group that is not operative and is not functioning and cannot historically function anymore to lead the African people and to lead the Caribbean people. And that is the so-called middle class, the petty bourgeoisie. Let us at least put that myth to rest. The petty bourgeoisie as a class is unable constitutionally to lead any third world country anywhere except the destruction. That class was born originally located spawned by imperialism and capitalism its members of course do have a certain choice to a limited extent they are fluid but as a class their intervention in the historical process has been to lead movements mass movements has been to lead populist movements and they have imposed their own stamp on these populist movements and they have stood as a barrier between the working people and the state, between the working people and the elaboration of a true working-class ideology, between the working people and the development of a working-class organization. All of these groups, without exception, and this includes some who would be considered as more progressive than others, It will include the Nkrumahs and the Sekuturahs and the Neraris, as well as the plethora of other reactionaries, of the real reactionaries in Africa and, and, and the Caribbean. They have organizationally established the hegemony of the petty bourgeoisie over the working class and the peasantry. All of these political parties, all of these state systems represent petty bourgeois hegemony over the working class. And if the petty bourgeois has a role, as one should hope, at least I would hope so for my own sake, being located in that class. (laughs) If we have a role, it has to do with the shift of the initiative into the hands of workers and peasants. And then for a change, we begin to serve those classes. Because mostly we have been serving other classes anyhow. Mostly we have been serving the capitalist class so for a change we may begin to service the working people service the working class but to do so we have to understand that organization as well as ideology must reside in the hands of the working people their own autonomous organizations born out of spontaneous struggle but disciplined in that process and addressing themselves to the real needs of the working people because when we import our concerns it's amazing what the petty bourgeoisie can be concerned about. We have all kinds of preoccupations which have very little which have little or nothing to do with what working people say and do out of their own immediate activity in production. And we have to begin to formulate if we at the petty bourgeoisie are involved, it has to be organisation that is rooted in the working class, within the working class, for the working class which means, of course, it has to be a working-class ideology. Again, we cannot import various strands of bourgeois and petty bourgeois ideology, which has been the case throughout Africa, wherever you go. And again, this can be illustrated by taking the most progressive. Never mind the Hufni Boignies in the Ivory Coast and the Higios in the Cameroon and the really backward types. But even for the Nereres and Tanzanian socialism, Secretary and his talk about African communalism in the Caribbean. Now we have Manly and democratic socialism. Burnham has long spoken about cooperative socialism and what have you. All those are petty bourgeois ideologies whose objective function, quite apart from their intentions, has been to confuse the working masses. <laughs> so we move towards recognizing that social change and social ideas can only be rooted in social classes social forces after all this is not too difficult to establish and to accept because in europe itself or in this country no significant political or economic change could possibly have taken place if that change was not seen to be part of The interest the objective interest of some given class the class may have identified its interest as the national interest that is always possible historically the dominant classes always assert that their class interest is the national interest but if we go beyond that facade we will at least accept that all social political changes even within this capitalist society that have been significant have been monitored, more than monitored, have in fact been engineered and carried out by the bourgeoisie as a class, because that was their objective interest, and they benefited. So we have to concentrate on the possible ways in which the working people, defined firstly as those directly engaged in wage production, and secondarily as those who are engaged in peasant production on a small scale, that those will find ways of organizing themselves and identifying themselves with particular social change. And this brings me to what may appear to be a totally unrevolutionary concept, a very old-fashioned concept, but one that I assure you when you think about it in the present actuality is more desired than any other, and it's the simple notion of democracy. For a long time after independence in Africa and the Caribbean, we started to talk about a lot of things, but democracy was low on the list. Partly because we had identified democracy as the parliamentary mode, so that we had taken a historical form of class democracy, bourgeois democracy in a specific form, and we said, that is democracy. So we absolutized from something that was very relative. And after we absolutized, we said, well, we don't want that. Why do we want democracy? That is for the British and these people who were debating in parliament and so on. So quite a few progressive Africans prefer to lay the emphasis on some species of authoritarianism, some species of old-fashioned duties and obligations, mostly duties from the working people. And they said that this is what is required at the present time and it seems to me as we look at one african country after another at one caribbean country after another what we are in fact facing is a phenomenon in which whether the governments claim to be progressive or not whether the countries are large or small whether they are former french-speaking or former english-speaking territories there is the same tendency for the fossilization of the state almost it hardens as an apparatus that is totally isolated from and alienated from the vast majority of the people in the society who in no way are allowed to practice any democratic choice which has little to do with just elections it has to do with whether they make choices whether they influence choices in their own society and the answer when you pose that question is invariably no the pattern of development in our society has been consistently to deprive the, the working people of the capacity to make choices. And sometimes we do this under the name of democracy because we have had high flown notions. When Sierra Leone decided, to the government, present government, to abolish democracy in Sierra Leone, they did it in the name of democracy. When the government of Guyana, like others in the third world, decided to hold a referendum They said, we want to abolish uh, political freedoms, we want to abolish the right to vote, but we are inviting people to vote as to whether they want to vote in future, you see. We're being very democratic. And of course, as you know, the people supposedly voted that they would not like to vote in future. (laughs) So under the facade of democracy and in the name of democracy, certain democratic rights have been abolished and not just the democratic rights in the formal sphere of political choice, but also in the everyday sense of the working rights of the working man on the job. The the trade unions of Africa and the Caribbean are almost defunct compared to what they were even in the colonial period as they emerged through struggle. You move from one end of Africa to another the trade unions have either been liquidated or they have been so tamed that they run around toothless and are located... Very billion ...regime and also whether it's a, it's, a, it's a military regime. Because you see the same trend in, 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 in Ethiopia. They declare their socialism, military socialism, coming out of the army, one may think a strange place but still we say let us be as elastic as possible let us not be tied to old cannons and shibboleths. maybe the army can prove to be a socialist institution so one approaches it with the broadest possible vision but the reality is that that army took over and proceeded not only to batter the students on the head to put an end to that democratic ferment that was taking place in Egypt in the last years under under uh, Haile Selassie but again significantly singled out the trade unions made sure that there would be no independent self-organization of the working people so that that class could say we are represented this is our force and we are taking this as a basis as i said without that it's not surprising that we have no working class parties in these territories maybe we have to fall back on the thrust that is coming from southern africa we have to fall back on that thrust because in many ways the nationalist struggle in southern africa has already begun to transform itself into something more than a mere nationalist struggle that inevitably because of the type of forces concentrated in southern africa The nationalist struggle is already partway into transforming itself into a class struggle. That is one formulation. In actual fact, we could say that at all times the nationalist struggle was a part of the class struggle, but now it is much more explicitly so, and that it is attacking the question of those classes within Africa which are allied with international capitalism. And this being so, The liberation of the whole of Southern Africa, which means the liberation of the whole of Africa, has implications not merely for the people residing in in Southern Africa itself, but, of course, for the rest of Africa. It means that questions are being posed and questions are being raised inside of Southern Africa, which are bound to touch and to penetrate, indeed, those territories that are outside of the immediate area of conflict because it has been impossible in in Angola and Mozambique, and it is impossible in Zimbabwe and in Namibia, and ultimately in South Africa, to think of national liberation without raising fundamental questions vis-a-vis the role of capital and, and foreign capital, first of all, and secondly, the role of indigenous emergent African class elements who might wish to associate themselves with that capital. You may say that for those of us in the Caribbean, we do not have that same growth point, that same point of dynamism. But what is also present in the Caribbean is the actual living experience of the present era of economic crisis. Because in effect, many of the illusions that were fostered in the 50s or certainly in the 60s are going by the board. The classic example is Jamaica, a society in which the control over the reproduction of ideas was so total that it was impossible to discuss socialism five or six years ago. And the turn to socialist rhetoric and, 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 and sloganeering and, and so on has been determined partly by the fact that the Jamaican middle class and petty bourgeoisie and aspiring national bourgeoisie was in crisis on a world scale that they were finding it difficult to guarantee their share of continued accumulation and partly by the struggles of the Jamaican working people who are not just standing still that there is that pressure to be understood that many of us who are making these kinds of assessments about where our society happens to be going when we make these assessments at a purely theoretical level We seem to ignore the most important fact of all, what the working people are actually doing. We seem to imagine that they are asleep, not seeing that day by day in many complex and sometimes minute ways, but ultimately significant ways, the working people are arising to an awareness out of their direct experience of the meaning of the new forms which the system has assumed in our parts of the world. And therefore, there are really two attitudes perhaps that I would like to leave you with. The one attitude is a very critical attitude, is a very sober attitude. It is one that recognizes that the task of development, of transformation and of independence in Africa and the Caribbean is, is far more difficult perhaps than we had anticipated. There was a sense when, at the end of the 60s and in the early 70s, there was an aura of escapism, of romanticism, a feeling that the political victories of independence would necessarily be followed within the foreseeable future by certain economic changes. Now we're even back to recognizing that the economic changes will not come until there is a deepened political revolution that goes far beyond that struggle for independence. And that is sobering. In fact, what is even more sobering is that if we cannot seize the possibilities of the mobilization of working people inside of our societies, we also have to face up to the possibility that regression will take place, will continue to take place. Not merely whether we will stagnate or we will advance, but whether we will advance or regress. Those are real choices. Historical regression is not new. It certainly is not new in the Caribbean, where the tremendous efforts of the Haitian people produced the greatest revolution of the, of the 18th century. But by the 19th and 20th century, Haiti had obviously regressed below a level even for the rest of the Caribbean and now we see the same regressive tendencies manifesting themselves and they are part of a more generalized phenomenon which we see in the southern cone of the Americas the fascism and corporate state direction of the Brazils and the Chiles and the Argentinas and so on so we need to recognize possibilities even frightening possibilities that we could move in another direction when I pose that it is only as a warning because there are other tendencies which suggest that regression may occur but it is not the dominant historical tendency and cannot be if we understand the movement of matter if we understand the movement of society we will not imagine that regression is a dominant tendency and maybe there are long and short ways of explaining this i rather choose a rather short way a way that is perhaps simply an emotive illustration, but it is one that came to my mind and has fascinated me for quite a while. It was a story which I read, a factual account of a massacre which took place in Mozambique. Portuguese went to one village which they called Wiriamu and they rounded up the population in that village men and women and children mostly women and children they butchered that population after placing them in a line they shot them down they then heaped the bodies together and set the bodies alight and they went off so supposedly nothing should have been known of this because everybody was accounted for the story came out because one boy survived he survived he had been shot he had been wounded he fell he was put into the pile the pile was lit and he managed to creep out from under this pile of burning bloody bodies it's a scene that defies even you know dante's inferno it it seems more bizarre than the supposed reality or the, the fictional reality and yet in a sense it is symbolic because as we know mozambique one and somehow there is a level at which we have to unite an understanding of the real world as we reflect on it which is the response that is mental and as we connect with it a response that i suggest is visceral It's a gut level response. Now at the gut level response, that boy climbing out of that pile of burning, decaying bodies was a symbol of the possibilities that are inherent in human society and certainly possibilities that are more than inherent in our society, not because of any racial mystique, but because of the dialectic itself, which has heaped upon us certain forms of exploitation and oppression, so that the act of survival requires an even greater act of affirmation. Thank you very much for listening.
1: 99 name supply the sunshine and provided us rain. Mineral fruit, vitamin, grain. How many profit came and tried to explain? Tell them once, now tell them again. It's all a mind game. Pineal gland, switch the mind frame until you land down. I call in the powers of could've put the shackles around my neck and ankles. Took away the crown and it gave man sandals. For the no water, freedom through the brambles. Landed the cane and the mangoes, no, never did the first blood, no Rambo. Still a bundle down the ass with the ass niggas in it just like Django. Just for the aggro, gave me an ass Now Naga, snake, and the sambo Blaze down the place, with the flame in the atmosphere. Don't know my name, well, I came from the cosmos. Black coffee, and I can't take any lactose. For the sake of my black rose waiting for a black bro stare at the crossroads Nanny and Harriet Tubman, true assassins and how many gunmen 99 names supply the sunshine and provide us rain Mineral fruit, vitamin, grain, a mini prophet came and tried to explain Tell them once now, tell them again, it's all a mind game From your third eye to switch the mind frame Until you land down on an airplane And you're the one, pulling the powers of Ogun. When the times tight and there's no room Let me grow free like a mushroom, you turn around tell me cool costume, all in the powers of Ta'uti, give me power absolutely, and write me a future that suits me, and when you're done bury me in the tomb with the true G's, give me the powers of ocean, scatter my ashes across the ocean, bring back together what's broken, less than a soft word spoken, give me the powers of Anubis, to sniff all the lies out and the bullshit, if the tutor has a good pupil, the master will become the student, 99 names supply the sunshine and providers rain. Mineral fruit, vitamin grain. How many prophets came and tried to explain? Tell them once, when I tell them again, it's all a mind game. Final glance, switch the mind frame, until you land down on the airplane, and you're the one. Grant the powers of Isis when you reunited parts of Osiris for rewiring, realignment of any broken hearts left are inside us. all on the powers of Oya, can you carry me nine thousand prayers? a shiva destroy and speak of my behalf for me just like my lawyer I oh, shatty gave me the rest that's every good and good this inside that's my mindset Call on the alchemist to teach me how to transform out of this. Give a bird's eye view like a falcon is, can see where the trees and the mountains is. Dr. Khalid, brother Malcolm is, my granddad in the depths of the black abyss. Give me the powers of Hercules, Mars, Jupiter, and Mercury. Try and murder me, and when I die, turn around and worship me. Call on the powers of Gyrasta, Garvey, I need every king with a black star. Dip the under like John the Baptist in your consciousness, this just a chapter. 99 names supply the sunshine and provide us rain Mineral fruit, vitamin, grain A many profit came and tried to explain We tell them once, when I tell them again It's all a mind game From your third eye to switch your mind frame Until you land down on an plane, And you're the one with 99 names, supply the sunshine and provide us rain Mineral fruit, vitamin, grain I mean came and tried to explain Tell them once now, tell them again It's all a mind game Plan your glance, switch the mind frame On the airplane Until you're the one with
2: 99 names Alright, that is our show We hope you enjoyed Conscientization 101's Digitally remastered presentation of Walter Roddy Crisis in the periphery Africa and the Caribbean.: Yeah, and, and just a quick note, we want to uh, tell a quick antidote. So we know you heard the Thieves Banquet, and that's from uh, akala's album called "The Thieves Banquet." You know, we're going to link to it. and we want to tell you a quick antidote about that. So it was like, I'm telling you, I was reading in Googie, right? so I was reading I was reading a lot, but at that time I got a, a, in 2012. Late 2012, sorry, you can attest to this. Late 2012. Cause I'm I was I had started reading a book called Devil on the Cross. Late 2012. It was going it was about to turn into 2013. The irony of it is I, you know, uh just like if you heard on this interview, on this podcast, uh with episodes with other people, it's when I was uh from Rago, the Cyclonius, you know, we had uh discovered for ourselves a global faction and um I, we had Become familiar with a collar. You know, it's like oh man, you know collar go hard. Yeah, enough said, right? So in 2012, I was you know I had, you know I would recently b- before I finished Devil on the Cross, I finished Petals of Blood. Yes, finished that 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 novel by Ngugi. Loved it. Uh, late 2012, it was like December, le- late November, going into December, almost going into 2013. I was reading Devil on the Cross. And I was like, "Yo, this book is hilarious. This book is dope. If you haven't read Devil on the Cross, man, I that is like, wow. You talk about some creative yeah, it writing. It is creative. It's funny too. It's funny, creative. It got the class component. It's got the imperial component. It got everything. I said, man, what kind of treatment can this this book get? This is like, wow. It's a classic." I don't want to talk... You talk about nothing about literature. Don't talk to me about literature. <laughs> and shit, if you ain't read Devil on the Cross. <laughs> that Devil on the Cross shit, oh my God. So I re- I called, I said, man, you got to read Devil on the Cross, man. The protagonist is, is, a, is a sister. Man, just read Devil on the Cross. Yeah. Just read it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. So I was looking at some Akala videos on like YouTube, some of his freestyles. And then... He was, like, rapping this one freestyle. I think we had, still have it on C101. And he was talking about a Thieves' Banquet. And, like, they they, they, they performed this thing. Who was the most thieving person? Kind of, you know, telling you about Devil on the Cross. I said, I promise you, Zari, I think Akala's album is based on Devil on the Cross. Sure enough, that's why Akala is a phenomenal artist. For those of you who have not heard Thieves' Banquet, take get Thieves' Banquet. Read Devil on the Cross first, and then put that side to side. He pretty much gave the soundtrack to Devil on the Cross, and I was like, I know this guy's amazing, right? This this young man is amazing, right? This is the coincidence, right? Not the coincidence that I read Devil on the Cross. That's what I crossed. That's what I was saying earlier. Because once you get to a level of understanding, you're going to pick up certain artists, writers, literature by nature. You're not going to want to listen to that other stuff. People come to me all the time. Did you hear what little Pookie Dookie said? I don't listen to Pookie Dookie. I done checked out. I done checked out of that shit. (laughs) I've been with the global faction and decolonization. I ain't got time to worry about who think they a man or an elephant or a dragon. (laughs) Or hanging around with the devil. Uh, Yeah, that's... Y'all see that... That's the, that's the enemy's best thing to distract y'all from reading Devil on the Cross. Oh, so it is. Y'all talk, ain't nobody doing nothing, but you ain't picked up. You didn't pick up the Thieves' Banquet. What I did find serendipitous about, you know, Akala doing the Thieves' Banquet, basing it on a Devil on the Cross, was that it came at right at the time I had literally just finished Devil on the Cross. So that was the serendipitous aspect of it. I thought that was unique but it's not unique that he read that. It's not unique that I read that because we're going along in the same trajectory politically. That's how you can know, have people you never meet, but you know y'all cool than a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? And that's how this thing works. So don't let nobody say, I hold the keys to this. Get in there and study. You do your thing. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that know, devil that on right. the cross, uh, uh, Akala. call telling you, make one of the thieves. Oh, yes. and Spiritual reverence. I love it. I love it. I love it. I just wanted to say that. All right. Oh, sorry. Did you have anything you want to add? No. Okay. Nope. I did not. All right. She (laughs) didn't want to add anything. So without further ado, what we're going to do now is let you know what music has been featured on this particular podcast episode right now. Cyclonius,
0: we back at it from his album, Heroes for Hire 2. Conscientization 101, Decolonize This, Properly Defining Settlers, Part 1 from our musical commentaries collection. Akala, The Thieves' Banquet from his album, The Thieves' Banquet. Rago Zulu Rebel, 99 Names from his album, God Complex.
2: Links for music featured in this episode are available in our show notes. Links get this, y'all. We're doing this, we're doing this now. Links for books mentioned in this episode are also available in our show notes, okay? And the thing of something I want to mention about the show notes so, back when we first started the podcast, you know, um, actually, they didn't even offer any, you couldn't even see the show notes in like iTunes and stuff like that, but then they did around like 2015, 2016, 17. And then they you you if you had like the particular I'm getting technical, y'all. If you had a particular plugin in your site, then you know it would show all the show notes and you could hit the hyperlinks and stuff like Then truncate it. Then Apple changed and I don't know how they look in Spotify. I don't know how they look in Google Podcasts. I don't know how they look in the particular episode, the show notes look for the various uh, podcast distribution services such as iTunes, Spotify. So I'm saying all that to say this. If you want to see the complete show notes with all the hyperlinks so that you can click on the hyperlinks and purchase this music, Rago, uh, The Thieves Banquet, and then you can do a search and find devil on the cross and you can click that hyperlink so y'all can buy that and put the thieves banquet in the college together if you haven't already Cyclonius we back at it in case you want to just say you back at it if somebody get on your nerves right I know Zari's looking like what the hell did you say that for anyway <laughs> but you know how it is. you know that song crunk now come on now but my point is if you want to see the complete show notes go to our website Go to this particular episode and you will see the complete show notes because I don't want y'all to say, I went to iTunes and I saw y'all only had half the show notes. Hey, we don't control what happens over there. Okay, so go to go to our website, go to this episode and you can see the complete show notes, all hyperlinks to everything that was featured in this episode. Okay, wanted to let you know that because you might see something. We might have missed something saying something. We might have missed it, might not have missed it, might want to sneak it in, but it's in those damn show notes on the site because once we get to writing, writing it down, it ain't going to be left out. Yeah, that made sense? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I kid. I'm okay, I'm sorry.
0: You're probably going to edit a lot of that out.
2: Yes, probably will. I'll probably leave that in because I said I was going to edit it out. Anyway. <laughs> now, also we want to let you know we do have new content on the site this this podcast episode being one of them. We have new additions to our library, so you'll see the latest books we posted. And and those of you new to the podcast, we only post books that we read. Okay? So, every book you've seen up there, we've read it. It's not like, oh, this look revolutionary, let me stick it over there. It's a Nation. i am put that up there. You know, we ain't like that. We ain't gonna be like, yeah, I'm about Africa, Berlin Conference. What that be? black <laughs> black black voices what what kind of abstraction is that black voice what the hell on Amazon anyway um, I digress a gay vampire black lion there you go a gay vampire black lion yeah that's gonna be the new <laughs> so the new gay vampire black lion <laughs> yes he's gonna have all the alphabets it's gonna be a lion dragon and that's gonna be the new black voice. I feel sorry for the youth. Y'all have y'all's work cut out for you. That's why we're trying to set this institution in place and go global with it. Because man, gay vampire lions and dragons is a black voice. It's true. Yeah, it's, it's some weird, it's definitely some weird, and I have to say it's shit out here. Okay. Good lord. What, what, what's the raggo song stand strong in a Babylon you better hold on strong yeah, you better, hold, you better on strong. hold on strong you gotta hold on strong cause there's some wild shit out here yeah so my point is we at, those of you don't know but those of you do we actually read yes we do actually read all the books up so we have some new books up check those out also um in addition to that hit up our store Support 100% independent media. Check out some of our musical commentary collections. Check out some of our unabridged interviews. Pick those up, and we know that will fortify your conscientization, okay? So, also, don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conscient1. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-1. On Facebook at Conscientization101. And Instagram at C101Editors. And also, you can hit us up on email at editors at c101magazine.com alright we hope you've enjoyed the show remember to go to the site and check out the exclusive Walter Rodney content we got up there so we'll see you next time and like Cyclonia said big up and live up peace
3: Yo, yo. They got me vexed, living stress, slaving for my next check No respect is what I get, blood, this can't be correct See, we move to the rhythm of the devil's drumstick Right now he sets the pace, that's got the streets fit with desire We burn a good herb to take us higher I'm a rider, and down for the cause, burning the fire It's unlikely, I'll ever turn on the ones that's beside me We cut from the same cloth, all these times are shy seat. We stay focused, through oppression, never hopeless Art's morph, guarding the fort, to the fortress We stay real, cause real is all we know, throughout the ball Shit, we still let the good times roll It's hereditary, you see it's stuck in my soul Free yourself instead of being stuck in a hole, you know These are the times of our lives, I like to split up And stay real to my demise, for now I live up Big up to all the ghetto youths, live up It's time to do your thing and never give up These are the times of our lives, it's time to get up And stay real to my demise, for now I live up Big up to all the ghetto youths, live up It's time to do your thing and never give up These are the times of our lives It's time to get up And stay real to our demise But now I live up Anything you move Make sure it's for a cause Any path you choose Blood the outcome is yours See anything I do I release it From the core On the streets Blood is war The whole situation is raw Still we Live the good life Throughout the hood Life Treat kids right Teach them Respect life Think about what you do Blood Does it help life In its cycle Or does it disrespect life See me I'm a rider A fighter for a team Started off as a dream Now I spark up the scene Anything you wanna do Blood Just reach out and grasp it Time to wait for you do it Now you get past it Life is for the living So let's live it to the fullest Let's spread love Rather than spread hate and bullets these are the times of our lives i like to split fuck and stay real to my demise for now i live up big up to all the ghetto use, live up it's time to do your thing and never give up these are the times of our lives it's time to get up and stay real to our demise for now i live up. big up to all the ghetto use live up it's time to do your thing and never give up these are the times of our lives It's time to get up And stay real To our demise But now I live up and yo music is much more Than melodies and drums It's an aphrodisiac It's a way out for the slums It's a natural healing A message for what's next to come For some It's entertainment Cause all they want is fun Started off as a heartbeat Africans used to heal with it Communicate to the next village Show love to kings and queens On a visit Festive spirit For newborns Music vivid No words sometimes But still we see its vision No pain when It hits on a head-on collision It's been here ever since the beginning of things And still here, whichever way the genre swings It flows through me like blood cells in my artery A big part of me like my parents who crafted me These are the times of our lives I like to split up and stay real to my demise For now I live up, big up To all the ghetto youths, live up It's time to do your thing and never give up These are the times of our lives It's time to get up and stay real to my demise For now I live up, big up to all the ghetto youths live up. It's time to do your thing and never give up. These are the times of our lives, it's time to get up. And stay real to our demise, but now I live up. Big up, to all the ghetto youths live up. It's time to do your thing and never give up. These are the times of our lives, it's time to get up. And stay real to our demise, but now I live up. Big up, to all the ghetto youths live up. It's time to do your thing and never give up. These are the times of our lives, it's time to get up
0: conscientization one oh. one